if we don't understand the study of chapter three of great controversy you may not enjoy the fullness of chapter four chapter three sets the stage for chapter four in chapter three we saw that because the word of god was taken away from the people truth was cast down to the ground which led to all manner of evil you saw how the papers came into power it started with backsliding of the people compromise of the church respecting positions of people and eventually the people with the church decided that it was better for them to accept pagan philosophies the Sabbath and the Sunday came into play when Constantine Constantine got converted little by little. The Sabbath itself was discarded. The Bible was discarded. And then evil began to reign. But the main point we got from last week's study, which is chapter 3, is that the darkness came because of the light that was hidden from the people, which is the word of God. When the word of God is taken away, the result is swearing killing lying stealing committing adultery nothing is there to correct the people blood touched blood like it says and eventually the world is going to be in spiritual darkness even scientific and industrial darkness followed in the wake of the bible being confiscated and taken away from the people there was little advancement in industry little advancement in spiritual things little advancement in industrial scientific things just because the bible was taken away so it leads us to today's study brother paul you want to say something you can go ahead yeah yeah i have a, I have a um um the um the forum and i i clicked on um the links the files and the music and i saw all the files that were posted i just want to thank the person that actually has been posting these files um but my question is a little bit more specific now um of course when you're in a telegram platform and you want to now migrate those files onto my database on my computer so i don't lose it uh, I need someone to travel me through that because apparently the files, if I'm correct, I couldn't see what the extension was. Uh, I, I don't think they're MP4. I don't think they're MP3 files. So if you could post it as an MP3 file, right? Is there is there a possibility that then I can actually copy those files out and then put them away from my Telegram platform. Do you see? Because I do keep a library of things and I do go back and listen to it. And so that's what I need to do. Rather than keeping it on the Telegram platform and be uh, and, and being dependent upon that. So if anyone could give me an answer to that, I would appreciate that in some way or form thank you okay all right we'll actually work on that we make it an mp3 fan in fact we make it available for easy download maybe on the website so that everyone anybody can actually download it straight in their device or whether a laptop or a mobile phone so we'll make we'll do that hopefully by 
this coming week they will all be on the website then we'll share the website link and where the resources are and they can be downloaded by anyone and then just one other thing i did share the link with somebody and she joined today actually i can see that um i noticed that on the link i can see seven people online so i'm i'm led to believe that there's only seven participants on the platform and one of the things is out there I've been having a lot of offline debates with individuals, right? And one of the key things that um, impressed upon me on, on, on this particular platform, because I watched it, I watched the development of this platform. You know, you guys are really, I'll give you credit, but boy, you're, you're typical uh, Africans, we are. You, you love grammar, you blow grammar, and the grammar you <laughs> Because I put you in hot in, in spirit, but the blammer, grammar you blow it when you put all these information down. Not, not a lot of people gravitate to that, you know. And keeping it short and spicy, because I'm a very long-winded individual, as you know. But you know, and but one thing I've learned is to keep it sharp and to the point. You draw people in. So I'm beginning to wonder. And I can see that you've moved to this online platform. And this one has worked better than the one before when you were posting it uh, because people to go through. There's so many to go through. So my point is this. Um, it is, oh, I'm just trying to think it through. Sorry. My point no is, yeah, um, I'm actually laying in my bed listening and enjoying myself on this blessed Sabbath morning. So anyway. So, um, with the approach that we have, is it possible? I don't know. Oh, okay. Go ahead, sir. Look, we've only got, we've, right now we've got three people that are online. And the fact is, we've got 56 members, right? So, yes. really and truly, yeah, really and truly, the way in which this site has been platform has been presented and the nature i'm telling you i'm trying i'm i'm baffled why we don't have at least 40 people online you understand me rather than yes, the, remnant, the remnant so that's something i want uh christian to think about and others uh in terms of upping the numbers because i go and tell people and she joined the site and she's on it today. I can see she was on, right? And yeah, I don't and think I people, people are telling people, come and um, join the site. If they don't join for the worship, they can join for the study. Are you with me? So uh, that's something we need to consider, my brothers. Okay. We actually earlier. We're even thinking of moving this great controversy study to maybe three o'clock. We we're wondering whether that would be better. Our plan was that we even discuss it after the study today because we don't know how convenient our timing is for most people since we go to church on Sabbath. Some churches close really late. As we're closing by one, some cannot easily join exactly. Maybe they might be closing by one, sorry, and we're starting at that same time. So some may not join immediately. So I don't really, I'm not very sure of how to do it because some of them in the platform here, that's on Telegram, they can 
easily join, but they might be busy with something else at the time when we are having the study. So I re really, I don't know how to go around it. I really don't know. Okay, let me, they're interested, let, me you, let me help you on that point, okay? Let's timeline it, right? Right? We start, we, churches are supposed to end actually around about, let's say the way it's about o'clock. Sometimes, depending on if you go to a church like Faith of Our Fathers, it will end two o'clock because the minister will preach for one hour or something. Then they will, then the um, brothers and sisters, they are hungry. They will want to go source for food or they will have food, right? So you're saying from one to two, so two o'clock, then some churches, right? So yeah. everything pushed in, emergency board meeting, da 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 da. So yeah. two o'clock, I think you're right, my brother, is the limit. But you're going to find some pushback at three o'clock anyway. And if you go too late till four o'clock, are you with me? Yeah. Fatigue is setting for many people right and we are burdening the sabbath i think people need to make a choice of where they want to worship or where they go to worship so if you put your study i'm talking about the study now if yeah. the study is no later than 3 p.m that's a good time but you may find some stragglers coming on board about three o'clock but you know a lot of our young people and older people make bad decisions because they don't prioritize their sabbath time very well so it's, it's an experiment but i would put the line at three o'clock it may push to let's say 3 30. are you with me but then if you yeah. get into 30 then you are going to fall into facilitation mode as you usually do on sabbath by saying you know what uh when is this thing going to end and i've noticed yeah. that even when this lessons when the subject ends you guys still go on to have your informal discussion subsequently thereafter. You understand? So it yeah. shows that there's an interest by many, yeah. especially, especially the young women that we were talking with two hours ago. They were after six o'clock. Right? So I'm, yeah. telling you, I'm telling you, you're on the right path. You can't please everybody. Just keep to what you're doing, but don't make it no later than 3.30. You understand? And let it tie out till six or to the close of Sabbath. I don't know, but the, I do know. Sorry, that's wrong. Not wrong narrative. I do know. What I'm saying is, you you do from three o'clock, and your borderline is six p.m., and then you start the formal talk. But I want to suggest to you that I know it's work, and I would be willing to help in any way. Is that you know we have the audio which you're going to work on. But you know, we need to have a short little PDF, one little page of the main points that was covered that in that discussion. Because a lot of people talk a lot, but they forget much more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You understand? So I'm with you. So anything you want from me, you can always stretch out and say, Mr. Ah, come now. I want you to do this. I'm not too old to be directed. I can assure you of that. <laughs> yes, I'm not. Later. Well, our mind is in the same direction because, like I said, we're discussing this during the week and today also. We almost said we'll start by three today, but we said it will be too sudden for people. Let's discuss it with them first before we change the time. Not everybody's around right now, but at least it's good that you mentioned it because I think that. At least maybe three o'clock, like three o'clock, two thirty, 
I think that's far better to start this this study and then go down till about six o'clock and end the Sabbath. I think that's far better. Hopefully by next week we'll begin that way. We'll begin to implement that. Yes. I remember the revision notes as well. Yes, yes, we'll do that. The revision notes. We'll do that's that too. <laughs> ah, brother, please. Sister, happy Sabbath. Happy day. Happy day. <laughs> all right. So, thank God. Okay, we have for ourselves, and we're all back now. We'll begin our study on chapter four of Great Controversy. We are going to be looking at the world tenses. So, okay, seeing what Sister Ada suggested, I think putting information and rules on how the group works so people are clear. Okay, we'll, we'll implement that. Okay, so let's get ready. We'll be studying Great Controversy, Chapter 4. Before we begin, let us pray. Sister Dami, please repeat for us. Father, we ask that you be with us through this study. Help that as we read the words to make significant meaning to us, that your Holy Spirit will inspire us through the reading, through our comments and discussions in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's open Great Controversy Chapter 4. As an introduction, I remember when we ended Great Controversy Chapter 3, uh, Brother Paul mentioned something, which is that there was a question asked, uh, how do we train ourselves to prepare? Because in chapter three of Great Controversy, we saw what is going to repeat itself for the people who are going to represent God in the last days. We saw the things to guard against, guard against backsliding, corporate and uh, leadership compromise, respecting of people's positions. We saw how we are to abide in Christ and ensure that these things don't happen to us. We saw how we are to hold on to the word of God, even if it's causing war in the, in the church, even if 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 it's if it has to be war because we are holding on to the things of God. Then no problem. Now those are some things we saw. And we saw that these things are going to repeat themselves: the persecution, the disregard for God's word. And then a question was asked: How do we train ourselves to be like this? And I remember Brother saying, Chapter four will answer that, which is the training. That the wildernesses received. When we study the story of the wildernesses, we get a lot of lessons as to how to train the people who would be ready to stand for Christ in the last days. So let us, as we read this chapter, learn these lessons, try to see how we can harness different points from this particular chapter that we would implement in our lives presently to prepare us for the coming crisis all right so great controversy chapter four let's go there we'll take a paragraph by paragraph as usual those online when it is time to read uh great is prepared how it will be conducted for those online while those who are offline with, with me here will start reading so i begin with the first paragraph of chapter four the wild Seas. amid the gloom that settled upon the earth during the light of truth could not be wholly extinguished. In every age there were witnesses for God, 
men who cherished faith in Christ as the only mediator between God and man, who held the Bible as the only rule of life, and who hallowed the true Sabbath. How much the world owes to these men, posterity will never know. They were branded as heretics, their motives impugned, their characters maligned, their writings suppressed, misrepresented, or mutilated. Yet they stood firm, and from age to age maintained their faith in its purity as a sacred heritage for the generations to come. Okay. Go ahead. The history of God's people during the ages of darkness that followed upon Rome's supremacy is written in heaven, but they have little place in human records. Few traces of their existence can be found except in the accusations of their persecutors. It was the policy of Rome to obliterate every trace of dissent from her doctrines or decrees. Everything heretical, whether persons or writings, she sought to destroy. Expressions of doubt or questions as to the authority of papal dogmas were enough to forfeit the life of rich or poor, high or low. Rome endeavored also to destroy every record of her cruelty toward dissenters. Papal councils decreed that books and writings containing such records should be committed to the flames. Before the invention of printing, books were few in number and in a form not favorable for preservation. Therefore, there was little to prevent the Romanists from carrying out their purpose. No church within the limits of, of Romish jurisdiction was long left undisturbed in the enjoyment of freedom of conscience. No sooner had the papacy obtained power then she stretched out her arms to crush all that refused to acknowledge her sway, and one after another, the churches submitted to her dominion. In Great, in great Britain, provision, primitive Christianity has very erratic proof. The gospel received by the by the beating with the first with the first century it was the um uncorrupted by Romish apostles, apostasy from from pagan emperors, which which extend extend even to those far of shoes. Shoes, we are the only gift that they. First thought of that beating received from many of the Christian Christian fleeing from persecution in England, France, refuge in Scotland. Then the troops were carried to Ireland and in all the country it was received with gladness when the saxons invaded britain hedonism gained control 
The corn cross designed to be instructed by their slaves, and the Christians were forced to retreat to the mountains and the wide moors. Yet the light, hidden for a time, continued to burn. In Scotland, a century later, it shone out with a brightness that extended to far distant lands. From Ireland came the pious Columba and his co-laborers, who gathering up about them the scattered believers on the lowly island of Iona, made this the center of their missionary, missionary labors. Among these evangelists was an observer of the Bible Sabbath, and thus this truth was introduced among the people. A school was established at Iona, from which missionaries went out, not only to Scotland and England, but to Germany, Switzerland, and even Italy. For Rome had fixed her eyes on Britain and resolved to bring it under her supremacy. In the 6th century, her missionaries undertook the conversion of the hidden Saxons. They were received with favor by the proud barbarians, and they, and they induced many thousands to profess the Romish faith. As the war progressed, the papal leaders and their converts encountered the primitive Christians. A striking contrast was presented. The latter, the latter were simple, humble, and scriptural in character, doctrine, and manners, while the former manifested the superstition, pomp, and arrogance of popery. The imagery of the imagery of Rome demanded that these Christian churches acknowledge the supremacy of sovereign pontiff. The Britons meekly replied that they desired to love all men, but the Pope was not entitled to supremacy in the church, and they could render to him only that submission which was due to every follower of Christ. Repeated attempts were made to, se to secure their allegiance to Rome, but these humble Christians, amazed at the pride displayed by her emissaries, steadfastly replied, that they knew no other master than Christ. Now the true spirit of the prophecy was revealed, said the Romish leader. If you will not receive brethren who bring you peace, you shall receive enemies who bring you war. If you will not unite with us in showing the Saxons the way of life, you shall receive from them the stroke of death. These were no idle threats, war, intrigue, and deception were employed against these witnesses for a Bible faith until the churches of Britain were destroyed or forced to submit to the authority of the Pope. In lands beyond the jurisdiction of Rome, there existed for many centuries bodies of Christians who remained almost wholly free from papal corruption. They were surrounded by hedonism in the lapse of ages. In the lapse of ages were affected by its errors, but they continued to regard the Bible as the only rule of faith and adhered to many of its truths. These Christians believed in the perpetuity of the law of God and observed the Sabbath of the fault, 
of the fourth commandment. Churches that held to this faith and practice existed in Central Africa and among the <coughs> Armenians of Asia. But those who resisted the encroachment of the papal power, the wildernesses stood foremost. In the very land where Popery had feasted seats, there its falsehood and corruption were most steadfastly resisted. For centuries, the churches of Piedmont maintained their independence, but the time came at last when Rome insisted upon their submission. After ineffectual struggles against the tyranny, the leaders of these churches reluctantly acknowledged the supremacy of the power to which the whole world seemed to pay homage. There were some, however, who refused to yield to the authority of Pope or prelates. They were determined to maintain their allegiance to God and to observe the purity and simplicity of their faith. A suppression took place. Those who adhered to the ancient faith now withdrew. Some, forsaking their native apps, raised the banner of truth in foreign lands. Others retreated to the secluded glens and rocky fastnesses of the mountains, and there, preserve their freedom to worship God. The faith which for many centuries was held and taught by the Waldensians, Christians, was in marked contrast to the false doctrines put forth from Rome. Their religious belief was founded upon the written word of God the true system of Christianity. But those humble peasants in their obscure retreats, shut away from the world and bound to daily toil among their flocks and their vineyards, had not themselves arrived at the truth in opposition to the dogmas and heresies of the apostate church. Theirs was not a faith newly received their religion, their religious belief was their inheritance from their fathers. They contended for the faith of the apostolic church, the faith which was once delivered to the saints, the church in the wilderness, and not the proud hierarchy enthroned in the world's great capital, was the true church of Christ the guardian of the treasures of truth which God has committed to his people to be given to the world. Among the leading causes that had led to the separation of the true church from, the, from Rome was the hatred of the latter toward the Bible Sabbath. As foretold by prophecy, Papa cast down the truth to the ground. The law of God was trampled in the dust, while the traditions and customs of men were exalted. 
the churches that were under the rule of the papacy were early compelled to honor the Sunday as a holy day. Amid the prevailing error and superstition, many, even of the true people of God, became so bewildered that while they observed the Sabbath, they refrained from labor also on the Sunday. But this did not satisfy the papal leaders. They demanded not only that Sunday be hallowed, but that the Sabbath be profaned. And they denounced in the strongest language those who dared to show it honor. It was only by fleeing from the power of Rome that any could obey God's law in peace. The Waldenses were among the first of the peoples of Europe to obtain a translation of the Holy Scriptures. Hundreds of years before the Reformation, they possessed the Bible in manuscript in their native tongue. They had the truth unadulterated, and this rendered them the special objects of hatred and persecution. They declared the Church of Rome to be the apostate Babylon of the Apocalypse, and at the peril of their lives, they stood up to resist her corruptions. Is that all? Okay. While under the pressure of long-continued persecution, some compromised their faith, little by little, yielding its distinctive principles. Others held fast the truth. Through ages of darkness and apostasy, there were Waldenses who denied the supremacy of Rome, who rejected image worship as idolatry, and who kept the true Sabbath. Under the fiercest tempests of opposition, they maintained their faith. Though gashed by the Savoyard spear and scorched by the Romish fagots, they stood unflinchingly for God's word and his honor. All right, Sister Irene, you can read now. Behind the bulwarks of the mountain, in all ages, the refugees of the persecuted and oppressed, the Wadanses found a hiding place. Here, the light of the truth was kept burning amid the darkness of the Middle Ages. Here, for a thousand years, witnesses for the truth maintained the ancient faith. Don, Sister Bliss. Hi, Sister Bliss. I'm about driving. I will not be able to read now. Okay, okay no problem. Yeah. Drop your phone. You can go on. Paul. Drop all around. I think it's around. 
Sorry, I was making notes as you're reading and um, writing. So, All right. I'm, I'm sorry, I've lost it. Okay, where am I now? The, the mountains? The mountains? God has provided for you. Okay, I'm, I'm looking at a book. Sorry. Um, can I pass until the next read? Okay, sorry. Before the mountains, you saw that the mountains, the paragraph before it. Oh, before. God had provided for his people, right? God had provided for his people a sanctuary of awful grandeur, befitting the mighty truths committed to their trust. To those faithful exiles, the mountains were an emblem of the immutable righteousness of Jehovah. They pointed out, sorry, they pointed their children to the heights towering above them in unchanging majesty and spoke to them of him with whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning, whose word is as enduring as the everlasting hills. God had set fast the mountains and girded them with strength. No arm but the infinite power could move them out of their place. In like manner, he had established his law, the foundation of his government in heaven and upon earth. The arm of man might reach his fellow men and destroy their lives, but the arm could not, could as readily uprooted the mountains from their foundations and hurled them into the sea, as it could change one precept of the law of Jehovah or blot out one of his promises to those who do his will. In their fidelity to his law, God's servants could be as firm as the unchanging hills. The mountains that gathered their glory values were a constant witness to God's creative power and a never failing assurance of his protecting care. Those proving them to love the silent symbols of Jehovah's presence, they indulged no refining because of the hardship of their lords. They were never lonely amid the mountain solitudes. They thanked God that he had provided for them an asylum from the words and cruelty of men. They rejoiced in their freedom to worship before him. Often, when pursued by their enemies, the strength of the hills proved a sure defense. For many a lofty cliff, they chanted the praise of God, and the armies of war could not silence their songs of thanksgiving. Pure, simple, and fervent was the piety of these followers of Christ. The principles of truth they valued above houses and lands, friends, kindred, even life itself. These principles they earnestly sought to impress upon the hearts of the young. From earliest childhood, the youth were instructed in the scriptures and taught to regard sacredly the claims of the law of God. Copies of the Bible were rare, therefore its precious words were committed to memory. Many were able to repeat large portions of both the Old and the New Testament. Thoughts of God were associ associated alike with the sublime, sublime scenery of nature and with the humble blessings of daily life. Little children learned to look with gratitude to God 
as the giver of every favor and every comfort. This is not one the red Roberts, please. Can go on. This is not one the red man. This is not one the red man. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Go on. Hello? Yeah. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Read. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you read. All right. Parents, tender and affectionate as they were, love their children too wisely to accustom them to self indulgence. Before them was a life of trial and hardship. Perhaps a mother's death. They were educated from childhood to endure hardness, to submit to control, and yet to think and act for themselves. Very early, they were taught to bear responsibilities, to be guided in speech, and to understand the wisdom of silence. One indiscreet word, let fall in the hearing of the enemies, might imperil not only the life of the speaker, but the lives of hundreds of his brethren. For as wolves hunting their prey, did the enemies of truth pursue those who dared to claim freedom of religious faith. Should I continue? Should I continue? No, sir. Huh? No, sir. One paragraph per time. All right. What is it? Okay. All right. I'll continue from here. The wild entities have sacrificed their worldly prosperity for the truth's sake. And with persevering patience, they toiled for their bread. Every spot of tillable land among the mountains was carefully improved. The valleys and the less fertile hillsides were made to yield their increase. Economy and severe self-denial formed a part of the education which the children received as their only legacy. They were taught that God designed life to be a discipline and that their wants could be supplied only by personal labor, by forethought, care, and faith. The process was laborious and wearisome, but it was wholesome, just what man needs in his fallen state. The school which God has provided for his training and development. While the youth were inured to toil and hardship, the culture of the intellect was not neglected. They were thought that all their powers belonged to God and that all were to be improved and developed for his service. The Vodua Church is 
in their purity and simplicity resemble the church of apostolic times. Rejecting the supremacy of the Pope and prelates, they held the Bible as the only supreme infallible authority. Their pastors, unlike the lordly priests of Rome, followed the example of their master, who came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. They fed the flock of God, leading them to the green pastures and living fountains of his holy word. Far from, mon far from the monuments of human pomp and pride, the people assembled, not in magnificent churches or grand cathedrals, but beneath the shadow of the mountains, in the alpine valleys or in the time of danger, in some rocky stronghold, to listen to the words of truth from the servants of Christ. The pastors not only preached the gospel, but they visited the sick, catechized the children, admonished the erring, and labored to settle disputes and promote harmony and brotherly love. In times of peace, they were sustained by the free will offerings of the people. But like Paul, the tent maker, each learned some trade or profession by which, if necessary, to provide for his own support. From their pastors, the youth received instruction. While attention was given to branches of general learning, the Bible was made the chief study. The Gospels of Matthew and John were committed to memory with many of the epistles. They were employed also in copying the scriptures. Some manuscripts contained the whole Bible, others only brief explanations of the text. Others only brief selections to which some explanations of the text were added by those who were able to expound the scriptures. Thoughts were brought forth the treasures of truth so long concealed by those who sought to exalt themselves above God. By priests, by patience, and tiring labor, sometimes in the deep, dark coverings of the earth, by the land or of torches, the the sacred scripture we are written at verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So the work went went on. The they they reviewed with of God shining out like pure good. How much brighter, clearer, and more powerful because of the of the of the trials undergone for for his sake. Take only those could be alive who are involved in the work, angel from heaven, surroundings, this faithful work. Satan has ordered the Papa, priests, and prelates to bury the word of truth underneath the rubbish of error, heresy, and superstition. But in a most wonderful manner, it was preserved uncorrupted through all the ages of darkness. It bore not the stamp of man, but the impress of God. Men have been unwearied in their efforts to obscure the plain, simple meaning of the scriptures and to make them contradict their own testimony. 
but like the ark upon the billowy deep, the word of God arthritis the storms that threaten it with destruction. As the mind has rich veins of gold and silver hidden beneath the surface, so that all must dig, dig who would discover the precious stones. So the Holy Scriptures have, have treasures of truth that are revealed only to the earnest, humble, prayerful seeker. God designed the Bible to be a lesson book to all mankind, in childhood, youth, and manhood, and to be studied through all time. He gave his word to men as a revelation of himself. Every new truth descend in is a fresh disclosure of the character of his author. The study of the scriptures is the means divinely ordained to bring men into closer connection with their creator and to give them a clearer knowledge of his will. It is the medium of communication between God and man. While the audiences, all the audiences regarded the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom, they were not blind to the importance of a contact with the world, a knowledge of men and of active life, and expanding the mind and quickening the perceptions. From their schools in the mountains, some of the youth were sent to institutions of learning in the cities of France or Italy, where was a more extended field for study thoughts and observation than in their native apps. The youth thoughts sent forth were exposed to temptation. They witnessed vice, they encountered Satan's wily agents who urged upon them the most subtle heresies and the most dangerous deceptions. But their education from childhood had been of a character to prepare them for all this. In the schools, whither they went, they were not to make confidence of any. Their garments were so prepared as to conceal their greatest treasure, the precious manuscripts of the scriptures. These, the fruit of months and years of toil, they carried with them, and whenever they could do so, without exciting suspicion, they courteously placed some portion in the way of those whose hearts seemed open to receive the truth. From their mothers knew, the Wardation the youth had been trained with this purpose in view. They understood their work and faithfully performed it. Converse to the true faith, we are one in these institutions of learning. And frequently, these principles were found to be permeating the entire school. Yet, the paper leaders could not, by the closest inquiry, trace the so called corrupting heresy to its source. The Spirit of Christ is a missionary spirit. The very first impulse of the renewed heart is to bring others also to the Savior. Such was the spirit of the Vado Christians. They felt that God required more of them than merely to preserve the truth in its purity in their own churches. 
that a solemn responsibility rested upon them to let their light shine forth to those who were in darkness. By the mighty power of God's word, they sought to break the bondage which Rome had imposed. The Vado ministers were trained as missionaries. Everyone who expected to enter the ministry being required first to gain an experience as an evangelist. Each was to serve three years in some mission field before taking charge of a church at home. This service requiring at the outset self-denial and sacrifice was a fitting introduction to the pastor's life in those times that tried men's souls. The youth who received ordination to the sacred office saw before them not the prospect of earthly wealth and glory, but a life of toil and danger, and possibly a martyr's faith. The missionaries went out two and two as Jesus sent forth his disciples. With every young man was usually associated a man of age and experience, the youth being under the guidance of his companion, who was held responsible for his training and whose instructions he was required to heed. These laborers, these co-laborers were not always together, but often meet, met for prayer and counsel, thus strengthening each other in the faith. To have made known the object of their mission would have ensnared its defeat. Therefore, they carefully conceal their real character. Every minister possesses a knowledge of some trade or profession, and the missionaries prosecuted their work under cover of a secular calling. Usually, they chose that of merchant or peddler. They carried silks, jewelry, or other articles at the time not easily purchasable, save the distant mats and they were welcomed as merchants where merchants where they would have been spawned as missionaries all the while their hearts were uplifted to god for wisdom to present a treasure more precious than gold or gems they secretly carried about with them copies of the Bible in whole or in part. And whenever an opportunity was presented, they called the attention of their customers to these manuscripts. <clears throat> Often, an interest to read God's word was thus awakened, and some portion was gladly left with those who desired to receive it. The work of these missionaries began in the plains and valleys at the foot of their own mountains, but it extended far beyond these limits. With naked feet, 
and in garments coarse and travel stained as were those of their master. They passed through great cities and penetrated to distant lands. Everywhere they scattered the precious seeds. Churches sprang up in their path and the blood of martyrs witnessed for the truth. The day of God will reveal a rich harvest of souls garnered by the labors of these faithful men. Veiled and silent, the word of God was making its way through Christendom and meeting a glad reception in the homes and hearts of men. So the, so the word says, the scriptures were not merely a record of God's dealings with men in the past and a revelation of the responsibilities and duties of the present, but an unfolding of the perils and glories of the future. They believed that the end of all things was not far distant. As they studied the Bible with prayer and tears, they were more deeply impressed with its precious utterances and with their duty to make known to others its saving truth. They saw the plan of salvation clearly revealed in the sacred pages, and they found comfort, hope, and peace in believing in Jesus. As the light illuminated their understand, as the light illuminated their understanding and made glad their hearts, they longed to shed its beams upon those who were in the darkness of papal error. All right. Um, they saw under the guidance of the Pope and priests multitudes that were vainly endeavoring to obtain pardon by afflicting their bodies for the sin of their souls. Taught to trust to taught to trust to their good works to save them. They were ever looking to themselves, their minds dwelling upon their sinful condition, seeing themselves exposed to the wrath of God, afflicting souls and body, yet finding no relief. Thus conscientious souls were bound to the doctrines of Rome. Thousands abandoned friends and kindred and spent their lives in convent cells, but oft-repeated fasts and cruel scourgings by midnight vigils, by prostration for weary hours upon the cold damp stones of their dreary abode, by longing pilgrimages, by humiliating penance and fearful torture, thousands vainly sought to obtain peace and conscience oppressed with a sense of sin and haunted with the fear of god avenging wrath many suffered on until exhausted nature gave way and without one ray of light or hope they sank into the tomb wow you audiences long to break to this starving souls the bread of life to open to them the messages of peace and the promises of god 
and to point them to Christ as their only hope of salvation. The doctrine that good works can atone for the transgression of God's law, they help to be based upon God's truth. Reliance upon human merit intercepts the view of Christ's infinite love. Jesus died as a sacrifice for man because the fallen race can do nothing to recommend themselves to God. The merits of a crucified and risen Savior are the foundation of Christian faith. The dependence of the soul upon Christ is as real and its connection with him must be as close as that of a limb to the body of a branch to the vine. The teachings of popes and priests had led men to look upon the character of God and even of Christ as stern, gloomy, and forbidding. The Savior was represented as so far devoid of sympathy with man in his fallen state that the, me that the mediation of priests stories um, the Savior was represented as so far devoid of sympathy with man in his fallen state that the mediation of priests and saints must be invoked. Those whose minds had been enlightened by the word of God longed to point these souls to Jesus as their compassionate, loving Savior, standing with outstretched arms, inviting all to come to him with their burden of sin, their care and weariness. They longed to clear away the obstructions which Satan had piled up that men might not see the promises and come directly to God, confessing their sins and obtaining pardon and peace. Who? Yeah. Robert. Okay. Uh, I'm not in the pool, though. Okay. Eagerly did the Badod missionary unfold to the inquiring mind the precious truths of the gospel. Cautiously, he produced the carefully written portions of the Holy Scriptures. It was his greatest joy to give hope to the conscientious, sin-streaking soul who, who could see only a God of vengeance willing to execute justice. With quivering lip and tearful eye did he, often on bended knees, open to his brethren the precious promises that reveal the sinner's only hope. Thus, the light of truth penetrated many a darkened mind rolling back the cloud of gloom until the sun of righteousness shone into the heart with healing in his beams. It was often the case that some portion of scripture was read again and again, the hearer desiring it to be repeated as, as if he would assure himself that he had heard aright. Especially was the repetition of these words eagerly desired. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. First John 1 verse 7. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life.
Tangos. Where are we, please? Well, um, many, many were on the sea. Okay, should I read? Yes. Okay. Many were undeceived in regard to the claims of Rome. They saw how vain is the mediation of men or angels in vain in behalf of the sinner. As a true light dawned upon their minds, they exclaimed with rejoicing, Christ is my priest, his blood is my sacrifice, his altar is my confessional. They cast themselves wholly upon the merits of Jesus repeating the words, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Hebrews 11 verse 6. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. Hallelujah. Brother Jason. Where is it, bro? Ah. Brother Jason. Huh? Okay, so we are sick. Bro, just yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, not ready. It's not the case, man. Yes, yeah. yeah, those three people are not ready, apparently. So I'll just Why? read from them. Okay. Yeah. The assurance of the same it seems too much for some of these poor tempest-tossed souls to realize. So great was the relief which it brought. Such a flood of light was shed upon them that they seemed transported to heaven. Their hands were laid con confidingly in the hand of Christ. Their feet, feet were planted upon the rock of ages. All fear of death was banished. They could now covet the prison and the faggot if they might thereby honor the name of their Redeemer. Okay. In secret places, the word of God was thus brought forth and read, sometimes to a single soul, sometimes to a little company who were longing for light and truth. Often the entire night was spent in this manner. So great would be the wonder and admiration of the listeners that the messenger of mercy was not infrequently compelled to cease his reading until the understanding could grasp the tidings of salvation. Often would words like these be uttered. Will God indeed accept my offering? Will he smile upon me? Will he pardon me? The answer was read, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11, verse 28. Amen. Faith grasped the promise, and the glad response was heard. No more long pilgrimages to make. No more painful journeys to holy shrines. I may come to Jesus just as I am, sinful and unholy, and he will not spawn. He would not spawn the penitential prayer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Mine, even mine, may be forgiven. A tired of sacred joy with 
fill their hearts and the name of Jesus will be manifested, will be manifested by praise and thanksgiving. Those happy souls return to their home to, to diffuse light, to, to, to repeat to another as well as they could. The new, the new experience that they will find the truth and living with. They were a strong and they were a strength and and Solomon power in the word of scripture that spoke directly to the heart of those who we are long lived from the truth. It was the voice of God and it carried conviction to those who hear. The messenger of truth went on his way, but his appearance of humility, his sincerity, his earnestness and deep favor were subject of frequent remark. In many instances, his hearers had not asked him whence he came or whither he went. They had been so overwhelmed, at first with surprise and afterward with gratitude and joy, and they had not thought to question him. When they had urged him to accompany them to their home, he had replied that he must visit the lost sheep of the flock. Could he have been an angel from heaven? They queried. In many cases, the messenger of truth was seen no more. He had made his way to other lands, or he was wearing out his life in some unknown dungeon or perhaps his bones were whitening on the spot where he had witnessed for the truth but the words he had left behind could not be destroyed they were doing their work in the hearts of men the the blessed results will be fully known on the judgment and um, will be fully known in the judgment The Wadeshian the missionaries were inviting the kingdom of Satan, and the powers of darkness arose to great vigilance. Every effort, every effort to advance the truth was watched by the Prince of Heaven by the prize, prince of heaven and he and he has exalted the fear of the, of his of his agents the papa leader saw saw a potent of danger to their to their cause from the labor of his humble in interior tans interior if the light of truth were allowed to shine unprotested, unprotected, it will sweep away the heavy cloud of air that envelop the people. It will direct the mind of men to God 
along and would eventually destroy the supremacy of Rome. The very existence of these people holding the faith of the ancient church was a constant testimony to Rome's apostasy and therefore excited the most bitter hatred and persecution. Their refusal to surrender the scripture was also an offense that Rome could not tolerate. She determined to blot them from the earth. Now began the most terrible crusades against God's people in their mountain homes. Inquisitors were put upon their track and the scene of innocent Abel falling before the murderous king was often repeated. Again and again where their fertile land laid waste. Again and again where their fertile lands laid waste. Their dwellings and chapels swept away so that where once were flourishing fields and the homes of an innocent, industrious people, there remained only a desert. As the ravenous beast is rendered more furious by the taste of blood, so the rage of the papist was kindled to greater intensity by the sufferings of their victims. Many of these witnesses for a pure faith were pursued across the mountains and hunted down in the valleys where they were hidden, shut in by the mighty forest and pinnacles of rock. No charge could be brought <clears throat> against the moral character of this proscribed class. Even their enemies declared them to be a peaceable, quiet, pious people. Their grand offense was that they would not worship God according to the will of the Pope. For this crime, every humiliation, insult, and torture that men or devils could invent was heaped upon them. When Rome at once determined to exterminate the hated sect, a bull was issued by the Pope, condemning them as heretics and delivering them to slaughter. They were not accused as idlers or dishonest or disorderly, but it was declared that they had an appearance of piety and sanctity that seduced the sheep of the true fold. Therefore, the Pope ordered that malicious and abominable sect of malignance, if they refused to abjure to be crushed like venomous serpents. Did this haughty potentate expect to meet the, those words again? Did he know that they were registered in the books of heaven to confront him at the judgment? Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, said Jesus. You have done it unto me. Matthew 25, verse 40. All right, Sister Irene. 
Mr. Irene, you can read. This will call upon all members of the church to join the crusade against the heretics as an incentive to engage in this cruel work. It's absolved from all ecclesiastic, ecclesiastical pains and penalties, general and particular. It releases all who join the crusade from, from any oath they might have taken. It legitimizes their title to any property they might have legally acquired and promises remission of all their sins, such as should kill any heretics. It's an old all contract made in favor of Baldos, order their domestics to abandon them, forbid all persons to give them any aid, whatever, and empower all persons to take possession of their property. This document clearly reveals the master's, the master's spirit behind the scenes. It is the roar of the dragon and not the voice of Christ that is head very. Is it me now? Yes. Yes. The, the papal leaders would not conform their characters to the great standard of God's law, but erected a standard to suit themselves and determined to come Pell all to conform to his to this because Rome willed it. The most horrible tragedies were enacted. Corrupt and blasphemous priests and popes were doing the work which Satan appointed them. Mercy had no place in their natures. The same spirit that crucified Christ and that slew the apostles the same that moved the bloodthirsty Nero against the faithful in his day was that work to rid the earth of those who were beloved of God. The persecutions visited for many centuries upon these God-fearing people were endured by them with a patience and constancy that honored their redeemer, notwithstanding the crusades against them and the inhuman butchery to which they were subjected. They continued to send out their missionaries to scatter the precious truth. They were hunted to the death, yet their blood watered the seed soon, and it failed not of living seed. Thus, the world received witness for God. Centuries before the birth of Luther, scattered over many lands, they planted the seeds of information that began in the time of Wycliffe, grew broad and deeper in the days of Luther and it should be carried forward to the close of time by those who are willing to suffer also for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1 verse 9. Amen. 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 Hmm. All right. Come to the end of the reading. It was a long one, but thank God we endured it. <laughs> So now let's go through the think, feel, and do. As we are, as we're reading this chapter, what lessons comes to mind that will 
apply to us today as a preparatory class for what is coming in, an, in the last days. From the beginning to the end, we see the results, first of all, of apostasy, the Bible not being around. But these faithful people now, this is a focus. In this chapter, there's a zoom placed on those who amid the moral and spiritual darkness in that time, we are still able to hold on to the true faith. So what were the characteristics of these people and what kind of training do we have to pass through now that will make us to be like them? So let's let's just speak. Anyone who has a lesson to bring out can just develop it. Just a quick point. And the biggest lesson here is that this is going to repeat itself. Okay. All right. We are expecting that this will repeat itself. And for me, what I want to point out that will repeat itself is not just the persecution, but the education. It must repeat itself if there will be a people that will stand in these last days even deeper than that. Look at the kind of experiences that the wild wild Christians and the wild Nancy's had to pass through. I sometimes, as I read this, the first time I read it, what it did to me is to at least in mind make the sacrifices they made. You know, some of us have not been required to make the sacrifices that they made, but even if we have not in reality, in action, been required to make these sacrifices, at least in mind we are supposed to do that. I'll, there's a particular paragraph that explained the kind of sacrifices that they made. I like to point it out that when we read um, page page sixty paragraph three, page sixty seven paragraph three, it says there the world and sacrificed worldly prosperity for the truth's sake. And with persevering patience, they toiled for their bread. Every spot of tillable land among the mountains were, was carefully impro improved. The valleys and the less fertile hillsides were made to yield their increase. Economy and severe self-denial formed a part of the education which the, ch the children received. I remember that when we read something like uh, that's chapter... 16 i love that chapter a lot great controversy chapter 16 titled the pilgrim fathers that's when we hear, read about rogers we read about the puritans one thing i singled out about the puritans was that when they were driven away from england some of them before were people who were maybe doing a particular line of work it doesn't one what matters is when they went to they went to the um, to america northern america they were banished from england but when they went there they were subjected to a different lifestyle, but they cheerfully toiled to learn things that was not in their nature to do, like mechanic work, tilling of the ground, which they didn't used to do before. But they knew that was what they were going to face. Nevertheless, to, they didn't want to sacrifice the truth for their prosperity. They could have remained in England and done the work that they are used to. They knew that chasing them away from there would expose them to have to learn new skills but they were not ashamed of it or afraid of it when they were uh, pursued away from their original uh, place of living 
they learned new skills and specifically they did works that they were not accustomed to i see here that the waldenses the same thing happened to them it happened to the pilgrim fathers it will happen again and again to us even today we don't even need to wait for it to come tomorrow today as we speak if required to we are to be ready to sacrifice worldly prosperity for the truth sake many are already doing it because of the choices that we have to make when the devil has to say to us you can prosper but only if you obey me and we choose to obey god rather than satan and it puts us in tight corners where we have to learn things that naturally we wouldn't have learned before so that we can be self-employed that kind of thing you get so when i read this in my mind i need to sacrifice worldly prosperity even though i have not been required to in reality but in my mind i need to do that and in our minds all of us need to be ready to sacrifice worldly prosperity for the truth's sake when required to lose your job when required to change environment or disobey god you have to be ready to change environment when required to uh, lose your source of income or obey god or rather disobey him we should be ready to rather lose our source of income so that we can continue to obey god in peace but let's just go back back to the beginning part there were times when we saw about columbus and is it colombo that was his name columba yeah in scotland and ireland who preserved the faith there but chiefly among those who preserved the faith we read here that it is the wild ancies the way the wild ancies they're the ones who preserved their faith in england of course we read the story the saxons came to england to hid they were hidden people though the english people tried to teach them the way of god the saxons refused then along came yours truly the papacy determined like it says in the reading they were determined to subject england great britain to their to their own to be subservient to them but there were these faithful ones who refused and then that was when persecution started okay somebody's asking who are the saxons let me read what we have here but bro, bro paul is saying the lesson here of course is that we must learn from the lessons from this reading here okay bro jude is asking who were the saxons Perhaps he would answer that. <laughs> but Paul says, amid the gloom that settled upon the earth during the long period. The gloom is now upon the sleeping end time SDA professed Christians. Indeed. Indeed. So who were the Saxons? They were the hidden people. They were a warlike tribe that usually go to overtake places, places and nations like that. Just like these... Uh, Attila the horn kind of like sorry, let me enlighten you about English history, who the Saxons were. All right. They uh, in 1066, uh, William the Conqueror, they actually came gener generically from France. The British were then weren't really British, there was yeah, but those those which we called Saxons, we associate to British. Ideally, um, before then, there is an there's a dispute in history, but these French people came, attacked the UK, and then infiltrated it, and this is where we get the idea of Saxony. So basically, that's it. So the British people are not as kind of educated as we may think they are. They actually were a bunch of barbaric pagans. So 
All right. And then the people came to subdue them. And this is where we now see the faithfulness of the Waldenses in display. That's what the faithfulness of the Waldenses. When Rome demanded that they give in to them. And there are some notes. Before you show us the notes you made. If you look at page 62, or rather 63, okay, 62 paragraph 4, it talks of the difference in character between the papists and the Christians, which is something we should take note of today. The difference in character between the papists and the Christians, 62 paragraph 4. Before that, they had already, and there was something that happened which I took note of. When these papists were trying to force them, the, the faithful Christians were wondering, what kind of people are these that, that are trying to force us to do something that is not in their power to force us to do? That's in when you look at page 61, paragraph 2. It, they said, expressions of doubt or questions as to the authority of papal dogmas were enough to forfeit the life of poor, of rich or poor, high or low. Rome endeavored also to destroy every record of his cruelty. And of course, th this was because the people refused to give in to their demands. So to page 62, paragraph 4, I was talking about the difference in character between the papists and the faithful Christians. It says, as the work progressed, the papal leaders and their converts encountered the primitive Christians. A striking contrast was presented. Before I read the striking contrast, what should be in our mind now is, is there a striking contrast presented between us and the world. I'll go on. The latter, that's the Christians, were simple, humble, and scriptural in character, doctrine, and manners. While the former manifested the superstition, pomp, and arrogance of popery, the imagery of Rome demanded that these Christian churches acknowledge the supremacy of the sovereign pontiff. The Britons meekly replied that they desired to love all men, but the Pope but that the Pope was not entitled to supremacy in the church, and they could render to him only that submission which was due to every follower of Christ. We should learn from this lesson two things. First of all, the character, our character is to be scriptural. Our practice is scriptural. And if it is scriptural, it's to be simple, it's to be humble, because that's what the scripture teaches. When it says their character was scriptural, it means that they were conforming to the word of God. Then their doctrine was also scriptural. They could use the Bible to sustain what they believed. Of course, the Catholic Church believes in church tradition. They don't care about the Bible much. Then they didn't manifest superstition as the papists will do. And their manners also scriptural. So you see that one thing that marks the world is superstition. And in Africa, that is our weakness, superstition. Super, super uh, I can't to say hidden Africa. <laughs> it's our problem. I really need to come out of it. What I understand superstition to be, if I try to explain it, maybe not to the best, but I see superstition to be unreasonable conclusions made based on what is happening to us in the world. Instead of instead of us following common sense and reason, superstition does not make logical conclusions. It connects things together, but cannot make as there's no connection. It just connects them anyhow. You see a tortoise today and somebody dies tomorrow, they say it's because of that tortoise he saw yesterday. No connection whatsoever. It is just that they saw, he saw it, the tortoise walk, walked past him. Oh, it's a bad woman. Then he dies tomorrow, it's because of that tortoise. That kind of stuff, it just doesn't make sense. And that's how the papacy is. 
they they make they cook up lots of lies which are actually superstitious but the christians don't do that they are scriptural you, you use the bible to explain things even apparent things that may look as if they are there are things that baffle the mind that seem that science doesn't seem to explain properly for example ghosts what is the superstitious belief the dead are not really dead that's superstition but when you follow the scripture the dead are dead is the evil angels that are doing it that's the difference between superstition and a scriptural doctrine or scriptural uh, character then the other thing i want to point out from this same part is the attitude towards people who feel like they have control over them. It says that they responded to them meekly, that they can love all men, but that the Pope was not entitled to this kind of supremacy he was claiming to have. And we see this kind of supremacy around us, not just in Pope now, even somehow in the small churches, bigger sphere, we see some people trying to manifest this kind of supremacy in the life of others. As Christians, we are not to allow people to exercise such supremacy, spiritual supremacy over us. But rather, we should understand that we can love all men as brethren. So that's a point I want to bring out. Yes, anybody wants to speak? Can go. Please, those online, if you want to speak, can raise up your hand. Meanwhile, let me just read what some of us are saying there online. Okay, Ada's hand has been up. All right. Ada, please, you can go on. Um, so when we look at the artist, I believe what the report said in terms of um, the whole um, chapter of what's going to happen in the last year, um, I just also wanted to add that I think that this past year, in terms of the COVID pandemic and the lockdown, has kind of showed us, given us a taste of what's going to happen. And already we can see, I mean, there are things for people out there that are coming this COVID Sorry, we can't hear you very well. Can you, like, maybe bring your phone closer? Okay, hey, hey. Hello, is that better? Yes, it's better now. Okay, sorry. So, no, I was saying that the COVID pandemic has kind of brought everything to the forefront. So, going back to what Brother Paul said, I, I agree. And I think we're beginning to see the early throws of some of these things that are said in this chapter. So, it, and, and, and you think about the fact that um, when you talked about the bits where you talked about the anybody that protested about their dogmas and stuff. And to say, well, a lot of things are not necessarily about doctrine, but I think the intolerance that we're, the rise of intolerance about oppose, up, um, dissent, or should I really call it dissent, or, or, or a different kind of, of an alternative viewpoint, which is being frowned of. So here, they call it, they're, they're calling it, giving it terms like woke culture, cancel culture. So basically, um, and a very good example is with this whole vaccine thing. So anybody that has questions around the vaccine is an anti-vaxxer. And in the eyes of many people, um, that means that they're against the vaccine. But that's not, uh, someone that's an anti-vaxxer has their right, and yeah, yeah, they have the right to their own opinions and their thoughts on why they're that way. But the intolerance about asking a question, I think that's concerning. So we look at it, 
I mean, here, I'm in London, so here in Britain, it's the same kind of culture in America. I mean, even the fact that irrespective of what your position is on Donald Trump, that he got cancelled on Facebook. You know, he, he doesn't have that um, 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 freedom to use Facebook and other social media. And then you bring it back home to like, when you think about what happened with the NSARS, where, you know, people, the fact that people started to protest was frowned upon. And it goes to show you that we're gradually regressing to these dark ages. So even though, um, you know, we have churches, like if we talk, talk about Nigeria, there's a rise and increase in lots of churches, but the darkness, you can see the gross darkness that is upon the land. And then you bring it to the West, you know, there's church and stuff, but it's the intolerance that we're seeing where if you have a different point of view, or if sometimes if you're a Christian, you know, they have terminologies like you're a creationist. And so because you're a creationist, you're not allowed to speak at events and stuff like that. And we can see, I mean, for me personally, I can see how these things are gradually happening. So it's not a case of something that's going to happen in the far distant future. It's already upon us. And I think the good thing about this chapter is the fact that it's encouraging us to, if we're parents, if we're guardians, and even for us as Christians, what steps are we taking to make sure that we don't find ourselves being cut out? Because in the grand scheme of things, I think it's somewhat easier to say, when the time comes, I'll be able to say, I'm not going to bow to the image and stuff. But the real question or the real challenge is that we need to look at and see what steps are we taking to prepare us to make the right decision in when, the, when those times come upon us to do things um, yeah, I'll just stop for there now. Thank you. Thank you for those points. Indeed, the council culture and the work culture is an example of intolerance. I, I was looking for a place I made a note on that. I know I made a note on the intolerance of Rome. It's very surprising how someone thinks or a group of people think that the best way to respond to people, okay, I remember the place I made the note now, that's in page 61, paragraph 2. The best way to respond to people who don't agree with you is to cancel them. And that cancelling in the mind is, in God's eyes, is as good as death, killing people. Because he said, if you hate somebody, you have already, you are already a murderer. It's just the lack of opportunity. The way the people react today, we are not supposed to be part of that. We're supposed to allow people to have their freedom of expression, freedom of speech. And that's why I said 61 paragraph 2. It says the expressions of doubt. Now, just put COVID in the picture and the vaccine. Expressions of doubt or questions as to the authority of papal dogmas were enough to forfeit the life of rich or poor, high or low. I remember I mentioned at that time, what's his name? Piers Morgan just expressing his own disagreement with Meghan Markle and cancel culture came up. Same with Donald Trump and many others in the US. This, like, uh, was it not, um, what's his name, Rowan Atkinson, who said that this cancel culture is like a medieval mob. And that, this, that's what we're reading about now. The papacy is that medieval mob. Once someone doesn't agree with them, everybody canceled the person. And the canceling them was killed. Today, that's what's going on intolerance once you don't agree even you can see the cancel culture going against is is not about having a particular similarity i i, I was watching who's that lady now 
that transgender lady that is coming out for governor in California. Oh, sorry, I'm calling her Elise Man actually. <laughs> uh, Caitlin, Caitlin Jenner. Now, this person is transgender. They've always been on his side. Don't be confused. He's, he pretends to be a woman, but he's a man. They've always been on his side. Now, because he expresses favor for something that the transgender community does not like, coming under the Republican Party, saying he does not support women in, in uh, men in women's sports, transgender people in women's sports, they are trying to cancel him too. So you see, it's the same thing that is happening everywhere. And me, for me, what I would say is we should be careful not to exhibit such characters too. Allow people to express themselves. Truth is not afraid of anybody. Truth is not afraid of lies. The way to deal with error is not by canceling the person who is saying the error. It is by bringing out the truth and the error will fail. It is those who are in the wrong that always want to do that. They want to cancel people. They want to stifle the truth because they don't have any defense. It's trying to prop up itself. Error needs help from here and there. So it wants to kill. It wants to crucify because if it does not do those things, it cannot stand. But truth doesn't need those things. It can stand without killing anybody. It can stand without canceling anybody. And when we start to exhibit such characters, we should question ourselves whether we are in the right direction. Last week, I mentioned how somebody put a question on WhatsApp in an Adventist group, a young boy asked, what is wrong with marrying unbelievers? In fact, who is an unbeliever? And another elder said, delete those questions. Now, delete it. Call him on phone. Delete everything. If you are in the right, why don't you explain to the young man? Are you afraid of him? Corrupt? You think he's going to corrupt others with the wrong idea? Let him spill out his idea. When you spill the word of God, the truth, don't be afraid of people's error. The truth can always kick it down. And the Bible says that anybody who is deceived because they love not the truth, not because the truth was not there. But many times we cannot explain and give evidences for our faith. And that's what is wrong with the council culture. They cannot give reasonable evidence for what they believe. So the best thing is just to talk about the person's character, malign the person, destroy the person, kill. If you were making sense, then why wouldn't you just say the thing that is sensible and other people will believe you instead of just uh, entering into this cancel culture mob let me read what we have online okay i can see a hand pover and i'm coming to that let me just read what you have written the modern day of gloom evolutionary teaching in natural and social sciences products idolatry such as sneakers branded clothing on natural hair color and extension as a branch of modern day idolatry okay that's hair extension i believe as a branch of modern day idolatry musical mayhem afro beats some aspects of reggae music, hard rock, lifestyle endorsement and justification, pursuit of money over pursuit of people, fake worship and fake truth over, with, over what is considered to be the truth, self-destructive hopelessness over redemptive behavioral change, the grand scheme of things, we are asleep in the midst of a revolution. But Robert says the stage is set for the end time movements. Inspiration said these movements will be rapid ones. Indeed, they were rapid ones, and we can see it happening. Okay, canceling them is called ghosting. That's the canceling culture. Canceling them is called ghosting. Okay, bro, Paul, please, you can go on and speak. Oh, it's true. Sorry, bro, Paul, hold on, bro. Got some earlier. Go, go. Okay, Paul, of truth. 
Say they can't hear you. Hello? Okay, go on. Hello? Go on, go on. Okay. The first thing I want to say again is the value of truth. Um, before I can protect truth, I need to understand the value and what it's doing for me. It's simply, Jesus will say, the truth shall set you free. In the later part of this passage, we see how the spirit of prophecy was bringing the value of truth to the people, those who were in sin, those who were in bondage, those who were following traditions, those who wanted to hear some passages over and over again. Repeat it to me. I want to hear it. What is he saying? Then they run back home with the excitement and go to their friends and say, see, please, we have seen the way out. Which means they were in error. They were in bondage. They found the truth. So now, finding the truth, they would want to guard it with all their hearts which is where the Wardenses began. The story of the Wardenses is that they knew the truth, they had it, they understood the value, they knew what it saved them from the pomp and the rest uh, of the characteristics of the Papists. They were free from sin. So now to now bring them to, the, I don't know, there's a way Paul calls it, traditions, who, who foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And you understand, I'm trying to take you back to traditions again. So that was what Paul was lamenting in the Bible. So I, I believe we individually need to understand the value of truth and why I, I would spend my whole life and say, even if you want to take my life, eh, take it, as long as I'm free in my heart. We need to understand it to the extent of, like the story of Mary Durand, the woman who was imprisoned for over 40 years after being married at the age of 16, was imprisoned for 40 years, 38 years, for refusing to follow the papists. So if we don't know the value of truth, we, I, for me, looking at my, uh, when I was a little younger, I couldn't understand why you want me to die for this kind of thing. You see, you go to the stakes, everybody prepared, the papacy is coming. What am I, what am I standing for? I don't even know what you're talking about. Why are people trying to cause problems? That was the way I was thinking. Until you have experienced truth and it liberating you from the traditions of men, then you can now decide to say, okay, what are we going to do to protect this truth? What schools do we need to raise? Why is it important that our children are taught? And all these things that the Waldenses did was because they understood the value of truth as it is in Jesus. So I think that's the first step for me. Thank, thank you very much. What you are talking about, you can find it in page 62, paragraph 1, talking about the loving the truth above anything. We'll talk more on that later. Bro, Paul, please, you can go on. Just on that point about um, the value of the truth, you know, my brother, you're right. You know, but here's the point. I want to I want to go back to what we are reading. You won't really value something unless you go through the process by which other people don't value it. It is that process of engagement that brings you to a point where you begin to value more what you've read. You know, we don't value. It's only until we put the scriptures to memory and in one in one sense and understand the scriptures in another sense that we engage somebody from another perspective we begin to understand the value that it has done for us by virtue of the fact that we can communicate it to them so that they can understand it so you're perfectly right um i want to i want to um on page 66 now so i i i set this idea about amidst the gloom because that's the backdrop that we're in right now and, and unfortunately many of us are asleep because this is the lady of Sian generation and they've deteriorated to a point where they're not asleep anymore, they're in a coma. So my point is I want to make is that um, on page uh, 63, and my, my, my last brother touched on it, and you're right, 
And it says that the wildernesses were the first of all the peoples of Europe to obtain a translation of the Holy Scriptures. Now, this gave them what we call in business a competitive edge for the sake of the gospel. Now, Adventist has a competitive edge, but are not using the edge, neither the competitiveness. They did in early days, but now in latter days, we have found ourselves asleep. And that is, we are the first. You know what makes us unique? Is the sanctuary teachings. This is a very important point. And there are things that are endemic to Seventh-day Adventism, which is a reflection of biblical Adventism, which is what we must draw from, from this lesson. And how we just can't sit on the fence and say we're the first. We have to be, the. of course we're the first, but we have to use what we've had. And if you notice in page 63 to 66, it says after that, they departed, they declared, sorry, they declared the Church of Rome to be the apostate Babylon of the apocalypse. That's number one. That's what we need to be preaching. They did it, and so should we. Number two, it continues. It says, the wilderness is denied the supremacy of Rome. Well, yes, we can talk about denying the supremacy of Rome, but we now need to articulate what that is. And it says, they rejected image worship as idolatry. This is an important point. A lot of people don't get it. We see it with the Christmas story, the Easter story. These are things that we had. Ever. And I, I always go back to this point, Kristen, which I'm shooting over to you. We need to develop these tracks. We, we need to, in collaboration, or whoever is waiting for, start to develop tracks that really hit the point. Because if you notice, if you look at the strategy of these individuals, you know, they were very aware in silence and they concealed it very carefully with bended knees how to get the message out. And we need to start developing some new school tracks, not some of this old school. But it, old school still brought about change in people, but we now we've got a different set of people. And the last point is, which is, and who kept the true Sabbath. Now, that's an interesting one. So, yes, we're keeping the Sabbath by virtue that we observe it to be Saturday, but hit the seventh day. But there is still within the caucus of Seventh-day Adventism, how do you keep the Sabbath? That's a big issue. I'm surprised. Thank you. What are you surprised at? <laughs> I'm always surprised. I'll tell you why I'm surprised, because just like me, my expectations, you understand me? I mean, I always have, the kind of person I am, I always have this kind of healthy expectation. So I don't actually pre, I mean, I, I get your point though, it's a good correction. I, 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 but the point I'm making is, is that I always like to presume, you know, this is, okay, this is gonna work out, just how it's gonna work out, the way it was written. But then I'm surprised that, what's wrong? Are these people reading? Or isn't the part, why don't the pastor get up and say something? You understand, that's my surprise element. But of course, you're right to correct me. Am I surprised anymore? More, more? <laughs> now, I, I wanted to be sure actually of uh, the specific thing that surprises you, whether it's our manner of of keeping the Sabbath or something, the way we claim, we claim to be keeping it, but many times it's really surprising where you see the way seven Adventists claim to keep the Sabbath. They don't actually. The, everything is loose. Everything is just loose. Uh, yes, generally, everything is loose. You can buy, you can sell, you can do just anything you want on the Sabbath. Okay. Sorry, amazing. sorry, sorry to cut you. You know, one day I went to um, this day of fellowship, right? It was in uh, in the church. Do you, I, I tell you what, I'm going to use this word again. Surprising. Do you know 
they were this is the whole conference so they were out there in the yard cooking up food like big yes and all the ministers of the conference were there and nobody said one thing so as usually out of character you know me now i have to say something do you know hey they chew water you can say they chew proverbial water over me so not to say that i'm trying to be a martyr but my surprise is, is that i'm surprised that people who will stand up in sabbath school and defend the sabbath will then surprisingly to me will go and not see this of any claim so that's my point. There's a big sense of contradiction, but I don't want to spend our time discussing that because we have other things to talk about in this chapter. But it was surprising, just to say the least. Okay, I get I, I wanted to be sure that that was the surprise, actually. It's, it's indeed surprising. I, want, I just wanted to be sure we're on the same page in that one. Okay, Sister Mary Beth, you can go on. Sister Marybeth, you can go on. Okay, she's not around to Stangozi. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. I really, I really love this um, chapter. It's been very inspiring for me. And um, the life of the world answers is something we really need to look at critically and see the principles that drove them because just as we are saying, we may need that there's going to be a repeat of those things. Then part of what interested me as we read, I can't remember the exact page, that's 67 or thereabouts, mentioned that um, the principles by which they live included economy, had, had economy, yes, hard work and then faith in God. With this, they, they, you know, they, depended, they depended for their existence. They had economy, hard work and, and faith, the word of God to keep them going. Then what they also transmitted to their children, how they trained their children, the legacy they left for their children was also economy, I think so, and hard work and then the total dependence on the word of God. And I also remember that the reason for which they went to the school was for the sole purpose of evangelizing the school and not to get the certificates which the schools had to offer. This is um, a very different ball game today from what um, we have been introduced or what presently many of us are practicing. We go to the schools, not for that purpose, but to get the certificates which the school has to offer. And then also being made to depend on, on um, the certificates for our livelihood. These people were not dependent as such on whatever the world or the schools had to offer for their livelihood. So they had a different principle of existence from what the world had. And so for me, it's really, uh, it calls for us to sit back and really ponder on how these people live their life and then have a rethink on how many, many, very many of us are, you know, actually running our lives today. Because I think it's still far from what they were practicing. And this really gave, gave them an edge. It gave them the victory that they had. Because if one is totally dependent on the government and all of that for existence and all, it might be difficult for, 
for you know want to escape the crisis that is coming and uh, i'll just link it with the country living call you know go to the country and plant your food have your water there because if you do not have any experience on faith and depending on the word of god to to, to sustain one when that time comes and it is just like a sudden thing it might be very difficult for one to make such decisions at that time so that's my contribution thank you all right Thank you, Sister Angus, for your contribution. But as math, as math, please go. All right, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Yeah, happy service. I just want to react to what Brother said concerning the love of truth. See, it is only the truth that will set us free. Um, individuals like Martin Luther, others, our pioneers, they love the truth, and the truth helped them a lot. In our environment, or where we are residing these days, you can see that most people no longer want to hear the truth. What they want to hear um, are lies. But the fact is that we need to ask God to help us to love the truth. I'd like to read an interesting statement written by Ejiwa from the book Manuscript Releases. Manuscript Releases, Volume 1, page 39. Ellen White says the following Mighty truths have been buried beneath the sophistry of error. Once again, mighty truths have been buried beneath the sophistry of error, but they will be found by the diligent searcher. I'm sure we all know the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. Instead of um, making arguments with someone, why don't you present the truth? Instead of having a series of arguments with people, because most people are studying the Bible just to, um, to sustain their own human preconceived ideas, not to believe or to accept the truth. I continue with once again, mighty truths have been buried beneath the sophistry of error, but they will be found by the diligent search. As he finds and opens the treasure house of the precious jewels of truth, it is no robbery for all who appreciate these jewels may possess them, and then they too have a treasure house to open to others. He who in pass does not deprive himself of the treasure. I love this. For as he examines it, that he may present it in such a way as to attract others, he finds new treasures. Amen. This is very, very wonderful and interesting. So um, instead of having arguments with people, why don't we present the truth? Because I've encountered a whole lot of people the, their intention is not to listen to you, but to quote one verse or this or that and say that um, the Bible says this or that, and which you know that they cannot prove what they are saying. Instead of having argument with them, I present the truth. And at the end of the day, most of them who love the truth, they also accept the truth. Some, some will accept, some will not accept. So 
My prayer is that God will help us to understand all these things and to keep on loving the truth every day and always. Thank you. Amen. Okay, I want to go back to what Sister Ngozi mentioned earlier about training and schooling. So there, we observed in the chapter that the Waldenses went to school for the sake of being missionaries. Like we have been studying in the book Child Guidance and generally in life, we've gotten to understand that the purpose of our life is to reflect the image of God. The schools of the world are not doing that work. They are not the, it is not their mission to train us to reflect the image of God. They don't have such purposes. It is not their intention. They even kick against it. So to go to the schools of the world while claiming to be God's people at this time will be to shoot yourself in the foot. If there's any time anyone can go there, it is when that person has been trained to love God. When you have received, let me just summarize. If you have received the training of the wildernesses, now you have a mission field and it could be the school. And like it says that they went as uh, people who came to learn, but they didn't come to learn anything. What they came there to do is to be missionaries. And sometimes they go as merchantmen, businessmen, peddlers. But their main mission was missionary work. So for us to, we should understand that throughout our lifetime in this earth, we are to live as missionaries. Every other thing is secondary. Those things are only means to an end. Our job is a means to an end. The business we do going to school is just we understand our first purpose there is to reflect the image of god since we know that they are not teaching us how to reflect god's image that's not what they are teaching us so what are you not going there for you can go there like like she mentioned as one who wants to reflect the image of god to teach people to bring people out of darkness into the marvelous light of god okay sister mary Beth is back if you are ready now you can speak Okay, I'm sorry, I had to be excused earlier. So, uh, what I wanted to say was about the whole youth idea. And though we have mentioned it's about the training of the wild dancers, I also wanted to bring up the fact that one thing I've really noticed that, that most times in the eras, it's usually the youth that go out for the like the major missionary work, they are usually the ones that go out there. And for example, like Jesus' time, Jesus was, you can't say Jesus was a youth or Jesus is a youth, like that was during his Texas, that was when he did his own missionary time. And even NG White, when she started, she was actually a young girl. And back now, we are seeing that the world is too. It was the youth that they sent to this educational system as missionaries. So, I, but I feel like that's why there's a, major attack from the devil on the youth in our present day because presently our youth hmm our youth as me personally we are not we, we are we are really barely ready to be missionaries we will first be missionaries to ourselves talkers of missionaries to anyone we are, we are really finding it between Michael and Tauma who is more funny or some other very unnecessary things that occupying our minds. Like we are, we, we are not even, we are, we are really, we are really struggling to be focused. And I feel like sometimes the devil intentionally brings so many, so many, so many distractions to occupy us. And in the end, before you know it, we are, we are past 30s and they make it so cool that maybe throughout your, 
youthful age, you are you just spent it wasting. Especially now that a lot of ministers are just coming out, rising. Year of Banky W, he said he just became born again. Year of so many people that they just they are really coming up now to say, okay, during my youthful days, I was. I was wasting away my life, and when I grew older, God converted me. So it makes the youth feel like, okay, for my youthful time, I can just like waste it away, do whatever I have to do, and don't worry. When I get older, I'll also get converted. I'll get serious with God. This kind of pushing God away, and the Bible is clearly telling us that remember God in the day of your youth. But then, and what I was just driving at is that we really need to. We really need to find a way to draw the youth back to their mission because if they are not seeing this important aspect of okay, we have this responsibility. Because one thing I, I was even thinking about is that a lot of missionary works because I was looking through some I was searching on med, medical missionary work like the Adventists. I was looking at Adra, I was looking at light. And I was saying that a lot of the workers there, they are not youth. These are way matured people that have families, that have responsibilities, yet they are still they are still the ones carrying these messages of God, going to do relief and co. So you now ask, okay, where are Adventist youth? What are they doing? Where are they? It's not just, I'm not talking about like Adventist youth ministry, Pathfinder and co. No. Like, what are the real Adventist youth doing? Because when you look down at it, you see that we all are just like, they are really not there yet. And we may look at the training, we want to say that, yes, um, there's this funny thing that, okay, our present day is end-time parents training end-time children. But if the if your parents have trained you to be, to be like, to just be relaxing, not to do anything, not to get involved, that's okay. You can still, I feel like with the help of God, spirit of prophecy, we can still retrain. At least that's what we're talking about this morning, about health reform, about getting retrained. Because I was just really thinking that if, doing, like, if, okay, yes, the persecution issue starts, and then, just like here, the youth are to be sent forth. Please, who are these youth that will be sent forth? Because it's not definitely not those in this Pathfinder adventure, whatever they are doing. And it's definitely not those in church that doesn't know the 28 fundamental belief or even the 28 fundamental belief self is too much even the bible we don't we really we are not there yet and it's really a struggle it's just really a struggle okay the answer who are those youths this is you and me and all of us who know these things you cannot require from someone the things that they don't know but for us who it has been committed to, we read it here that the wildernesses they began this work because the spirit of Christ is a missionary spirit. I read it from page 70, paragraph 2. The spirit of Christ is a missionary spirit. The very first impulse of the renewed heart is to bring others also to the Savior. Such was the spirit of the Vaudois Christians. They felt that God required more of them than merely to preserve the truth in its purity in their own churches that a solemn responsibility rested upon them to let their light shine forth to those who were in darkness by the mighty power of god's word they sought to break the bondage which rome had imposed and in our churches i mean seventh day adventist church there is a lot of people who are in bondage bondage to false beliefs to superstition 
and to wrong ideas. I remember having to speak with someone about these things. You see this prosperity gospel. Many Seventh-day Adventists are in bondage to it too. And it is our duty to speak to people about these things. There's superstition. It's our duty to bring people out of that darkness into God's light. People are depressed. People are sad. People are going through hard times just because of false teachings. Where they are told that if they don't have money, then they are useless. You must make it, all those kind of stuff. Thinking that life consists in the abundance of things that they possess. But if we can enter into the minds of these people and liberate them from such teachings, you don't know what good things you are doing to them. We read it down here. When people were hearing the teachings from the wild NCs, they wondered and they would say, repeat it. It was hard for them to understand it at the time. But then as the things were being repeated, they felt like they were being released from bondage if you have gone to evangelism and, and liberate people not from uh, just let me say let's say false practices false ideas not just false practices now there are some ideas that are keeping people in perpetual bondage for example the idea that if you are not married you are not fulfilled as a man or as a woman it's a false idea and if you can teach people differently they will be liberated and they will be free and happy and they will be they will be glad you understand so so that they can feel like they have they have value some people feel like they have no value because of these false teachings that are going around because of the false teaching that oh if you are not married how is everybody going to be married at the end of the day no not everybody is going to be married that's just one there are other false ideas but your point which is who are the youth it is us when god has committed the truth to certain people it's a privilege when you know something, it's a privilege. It's not something to bury. It's not something to hide. You do that and then you are not fulfilling the destiny or the reason for which God gave it to you. It's to be shared abroad in whatever corner you are, wherever you are. You are supposed to let people know with whatever resources you have also. You see, when we talk about sharing the truth, many people are expecting that it is those who are uneducated that should do it. Those who don't have a certificate. Those who are not as intelligent. But is, is that not giving God a lame offering? You know you are smart. You've gone to school and they've certified you, at least in the world. You have good intellect. It's not better to consecrate it to God. Who are you? Who are we expecting to do this work? Is it those who are not as intellectual? Those who, God can qualify them, yes. But the fact is that God gave us our intellect. He gave us our gifts for this purpose. Don't, we should not think it's too hard or we shouldn't think it as too great a sacrifice to give to God when we see that, oh, you're actually intelligent, you're actually smart, use it for God. If you have an opportunity and say, come for an evangelism for two years or one year or three months, six months, and at that time, you feel like I'm I supposed to be ex I am advancing in my career, relax. Why don't you give God some time too, especially in our youth? We are told, remember now that I created in days of your youth. Let me say something. For me personally, I'm grateful to God that from the onset, when I got to understand this present truth, I have always placed it above my own personal career or whatever. And I'm so grateful because I would have made many mistakes if I didn't do that. Many mistakes with respect to different decisions of career, marriage and all of that. I would have made mistakes, but I'm grateful that I decided to give time to the things of God. It has helped me to avoid many troubles that other people are passing through. And at the time of your youth is the best time for things like this. It smartens you. So that when you want to make decisions later in the future, you would, uh, you would start making your decision in the right direction. As in like, you make decisions 
and ask yourself, how does it affect my mission? You will not make decisions that will affect your mission with respect to what God has called us to do. So now is the time as youth, practically, you can organize evangelism. The other day I was talking about organizing evangelisms. We need to organize evangelisms, just like the world is. Right now, nobody's persecuting us. We're not in their own time where you have to sneak, you have to hide. Now it is free. And Ellen White said that which we didn't do in the time of peace, we'll have to do it in the time of difficulty and war and trouble. So now let us take advantage. Does that prophecy have to be fulfilled? That that which you did not do in the time of peace, you now have to, when we know, I'm saying it right now. Must, now that I'm saying, must it be fulfilled even now that I'm saying it? No, we should try our best to do things to avert that. It's, it must not be fulfilled in our lives. Okay, I can see Paul's hand, but before you speak, let me just read the things that people have put down here. Okay, to practice economy, not improvisement. This is our principal legacy. Don't get me wrong, it's easier to corrupt the old than the young. Okay. There are some things I pasted here about the training of the wildernesses. We'll come to that later. But let me keep reading what we have. Uh, but Robert says, honestly, to get the best results, especially in these last days, we should adopt the Waldensian educational system, if possible. But if not possible, just like what Sam said earlier, those who want to further their education in worldly schools should first possess Waldensian training. Exactly. Okay, going on. Roshedrak says the youth, okay, quoting from our high calling page 113, paragraph 4, the youth should begin early to cultivate correct habits of thought. We should discipline the mind to think in a healthful channel and not permit it to dwell upon things that are evil. As God works upon the heart by his Holy Spirit, man must cooperate with him indeed. Okay. Uh, Brapal says, okay, what was the ages of the pioneers? Okay, yes, as youths. Okay, Sister Mary Beth quotes from Testimonies, volume 7 page 23 in the humble dependence upon god families are to settle in the waste places of his vineyard consecrated men and women are needed to stand as fruit-bearing trees of righteousness in the desert places of the earth as the reward of their self-sacrificing efforts to sow the seeds of truth they will reap a rich harvest self-supporting missionaries are often very successful beginning in a small humble way their work enlarges as they move forward under the guidance of the Spirit of God. Let two or more start out together in evangelistic work. They may not receive any particular encouragement from those at the head of the work that laymen summoned. Okay, no. Okay. They will be given financial support. Nevertheless, let them go forward. Praying, singing, teaching, living the truth. God calls for workers to enter the whitening harvest field. Go forth in faith and God will be with you. Amen. This is a wonderful reading indeed. It's just reiterating what I was saying. That means there needs to be plan. Like Rapport would say, infrastructure. It's not just to talk. We need to make plans. Like the world ends. We are not in their time. We have the opportunity now to go to the waste places in Nigeria, in our own vicinity, and teach the truth. Even in the church, within the church, there is waste, there are waste places there, and we have a work to do. Okay, sister, that is some lessons. Okay, bro, smart says, I wonder why people always tell us you are not a man until you get married. Well, those who want to be in that kind of ideological bondage is unfortunate. We have to do something to bring them out of it. All right, some lessons number one, truth is under threat, but it always prevails 
when it aligns with the scripture. Number two, education. The children, youths, and adults were educated to endure hardness, submit to control, and think and act for themselves. This is contrary to the groupthink we see in society today. Bear responsibilities to be guarded on speech and understand the wisdom of silence. Economy and severe self-denial formed part of the education which the children received as their only legacy. I'll say something on that. The kind of conveniences we have today, who would want to learn self-denial and economy? Not just self-denial, severe self-denial. We need to learn. We need to learn. Some of us were born in comfort, have lived in comfort all our lives. Can you bear it if it happens? If you are required to leave all your comforts for this kind of life, you ha- you, it has to start with the mind. You have to sacrifice these things in the mind. Don't be attached to your convenience. Sacrifice it in your mind so that when it's required for you to do it in reality, you'll be ready. Okay, number three, work. They were in control of their food and learned how to till the land to grow them taught that God, they taught that God has made this life to be a discipline and intellect developed by all. Then number four, self-supporting work. They had businesses which was a conduit to spread the gospel. And I would say on that, we shouldn't be walking towards slavery, always being employed by somebody. I don't have a job. I don't have a job. We should learn skills so that we can be self-employed. Get a business. Let God teach you all these things. Okay, there's there's more I will say. I, I still want to talk about specific lessons we can get from training. Thank you, Sister Ada. You've already brought them up. You can go back to what I have put there, the training of the wild dances. I quoted from passages there to just bring them out. They were also trained to be missionaries. Since we're on that, they were trained to be missionaries. And also, they were trained to commit scripture to memory. Even whole books of the Bible were committed to memory. They learned the book of Matthew, the book of John. They could, re- they could write it down from memory. Can we do that today? We can. We have the mind to. It's just to put the mind to it. What it is is that, yes, you will have to let go of certain things. That's what it, it's a sacrifice. You will not be as, you may not be, normally you will. You may not be productive in other areas because you are giving time to other things. But it is worth it. Remember that Spirit of Verse says a time is coming where we will not have the Bibles again. We are to commit it to our memory. The world says did it. This was the training. It is telling us that we too should do that. We have to commit the Bible, whole books of the Bible to memory, so that wherever we are, we can reproduce it effectively. And the White even says as a minister that to make mistake when you are quoting scripture is, is bad. And we should not lower our standard. We should see ourselves as ministers. We have to quote Bible accurately. Don't quote it wrongly and say, hey, I'm not sure, is it verse this or verse that? We have to train ourselves to come up to that level. The wild NCs didn't need to be ministers. They didn't need to be ministers. It was just wild dances, everybody. And they learned these things. This is telling us the kind of training we should have at this time. Be missionaries. And if you must be a missionary, scripture memorization is very, very important. Very, very important. Okay, bro, Paul, please go on after that, bro, Shedrach. Yeah, um, I won't go over what points that you have made. I think you've made. Uh, I think we've all made some very relevant points. So now I want to practicalize it, and then, and then, of course, while we're discussing this, it's always my point. How do you, how do we implement this into our own change of behavior? You know, in Sabbath school, I have observed something. I don't know. You guys may 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 add a point to that. You will notice that when we get up in Sabbath school, and we're addressing a question or whatever. We always tend to communicate our opinion, right? In the discussion, which leads to more, more opinions and we miss the point. I think one training we must always get, if you're going to make an opinion, first, 
yeah? State the future, then make the opinion. So you're, so you're actually boistering that point against the scripture. We've lost that. We don't, we don't enter into discussion anymore. Everyone just talks opinion. So that's an interesting point. Then my point I wanted to make was this point to do with um, um, going back to character development. It's clearly, clearly seen, if you look at the Waldensians' approach to character development, it took place within an idyllic, hard, but majestic mountain scenario. So clearly, I think each of us have to make decisions as to when we're going to move out of Babylon and move in to a place where we can be fed yeah and i think that that decision is fast upon us and there's still a lot of us are not making the right decisions to decide to move out of the city i do think that there are there's some groups in in france i'm in contact with who 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 have done that adventists and they have gone out and they've moved out to south of france in an idyllic situation um, in Nigeria, unfortunately, it's sad for me to say this, but the security system doesn't warrant it, you know, and that's one of the greatest challenges that Christians are going to find, Seventh-day Adventist Christians are going to find living in Nigeria. I remember when I was in Adamawa and I was looking across the water in Adamawa, there was a place you have to go across the water and there was like a, a mountain range, a kind of hill. And I thought to myself, wouldn't this be a great place to actually set up a beautiful community just like Joss, but Joss has its own uh, challenges. So my heart goes out to those who are thinking about moving out to do country living in Nigeria because it's just not, it's just a difficult situation. Um, the other, the final point that I want to make in the reading of page 66 to verse 67, I think that page talks about the basis for character development. And I think one of the key things there is economy, you know. And um, yes, I do hear you, Kristen, when you, you, made, you made a point about, I think we've gone beyond that, but I'm with you in terms of training people to, to have a vocational skill. I think you're absolutely right. But I think it requires now a, a, a slight agile shift. I think one of the challenges we meet now, it's not enough for individuals just to start a business by themselves, though I think that's a very difficult thing for some of us to do because we're, in, we're basically endemically selfish about many things, much less sharing a business idea with each other and working to, to other with each other for the greater good of each other. So my point is, I think we've reached a point where, yes, we've got to be doing training, uh, I think Elder Rubin did a training on the other day and only three or four people attended, which is a shame. I think people are looking for handouts. People don't have time to do training. But the, re 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 the reason for that is, is because where is the money going to come to actually set up the working capital? And people don't want to say that, but that's the case. So my final point is this. We must involve training, like what the Waldenians did in terms of economy, but we have to learn to work together as collective groups, right, to achieve a greater good. So if you got an idea to do, let's say, uh, let's say a farm, a fish farm, right, and you, you, you're cultivating tilapia, all right? So it would be nice if two other people could join you, yeah, in that endeavor, right, rather than one person, because it's going to require not just one person to maintain, but a few people to sustain it and to maintain it. So that's my point. Thank you. I'm going to share the money. 
Selfishness will say that means I'm going to share the money. Yes. I want to add somebody else. That's what you say about us being selfish, but that's one thing I took note of in this reading. The wild NCs were not covetous people, and that's why they were able to leave what they had. There were areas which I wanted to point out on that note in this reading. When it required them to leave to the mountains, they didn't hesitate. They left their property and went to the mountains. And I want to also say that God uses his experiences to direct us. You see, if we want to do this issue of country living, we may make mistakes. The Spirit of Prophecy says we should be careful. We should not move out carelessly and move out at once. But if we allow circumstances, if we allow God to use circumstances to lead us, you'll find out that the way he used circumstances to lead the wildernesses to the mountains you know before going to the mountains it's possible they were not memorizing scripture it's possible they were not committing to memory the way they were doing but the circumstance that they allowed you can choose to remain in the city with your property also you can choose to retain your job in the city you can choose to start to keep compromising but in that choice you are not allowing god to time your life for you what do i mean by time your life god knows when it's time for you to move but he cannot, he doesn't always come to tell us in a dream and say, brother, this or sister, that it is time to move to this to the to the countryside, and this is the place I want you to go to. God uses circumstances, he creates an environment that needs you to stand for what is right. And in standing for what is right, you lose your job. And when you lose it, it is time to move. And then when you move, he creates other circumstances, other people you meet or whatever who will bring uh, certain ideas to you that way god is leading and then you find yourself always being led by god not necessarily because he spoke to you in a dream or in a vision or whatever but because you are always keeping on the right track whenever decisions are to be made you always keep the commandments of god if you want to know the will of god for your life like i always say keep god's commandments it was important that joseph was in potiphar's house as it was for him to be in the prison and as it was for him to be in Pharaoh's court. How did he get to Pharaoh's court? By keeping God's commandments in his house, first of all. His brothers hated him, sold him to Potiphar's house. Well, in Potiphar's house, by he, he met something which God ordained. It was God who was testing him. He could have slept with Potiphar's wife. And if he did that, he would have avoided going to prison. But in avoiding going to prison, the main aim God wanted him to fulfill in Egypt would have been foiled. So he kept God's commandments, which led him to prison. While in prison, he continued to keep God's commandments. God was able to make him interpret a dream. He struck a relationship with someone who was in Potiphar's court. That person eventually led him to Potiphar's, sorry, to Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's uh, um, throne. And he was the prime minister later. My point is, it's difficult to make decisions on when to go to the mountains and go to the city, to the countryside. But if we allow God to lead us, don't write that interview on Sabbath just to get a job in the cities. If you allow God to lead you, you'll find out that he will, through circumstances, lead you to exactly where he wants you to be. Okay, I can see some other comments here, which I'll read. But if anybody wants to say something, all right, well, Shedrach, you can go on. Okay, good afternoon. Hello. Hello. We can hear you going. Closer to the mic. Please move closer to your mic. 
Okay, I can move away from the mic. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Where you are? Where you are is a bit noisy. Okay, go on, bro. So that we'll try to hear you. Hello. It's far better now. Maybe you were using an earpiece that was troubling us. Okay, okay. Okay, mine is, uh, is like a question, or is a question. Uh, we see in the world is that uh, they were secluded. They have their own school, they have their own church, they have their own place of worship and all of it. Uh, I also saw something from uh, Adventism. Adventism, uh, I think... Okay, Adventism page 67, paragraph 1, that says, To connect with an unbeliever is to place yourself on Satan's ground. You grieve the Spirit of God and, for, and forfeit his protection. Can you afford to have such terrible hordes against you in fighting the battle of for everlasting life? It's like a question. So... What are we to do? Are, are we, as Bible-believing Christians, to seclude ourselves to have our own place of worship and to uh, to leave others? Uh, won't it be that our influence will not tell on them or maybe convince them? I don't know. I just want a light on that aspect. <laughs> Please, can you see the question? Hello? Can you repeat your question? Hello? Please repeat your question. I should repeat the question. Yes. Okay. I said if the wardens is their life shows that they were secluded. They have their own school, their own church, their own uh, place. Everything was just uh, with them by themselves. And I also saw this uh, quotation from Adventism, page 67, paragraph 1, that says, To connect with an unbeliever is to place yourself on Satan's ground. You grieve the Spirit of God and forfeit his protection. Can you afford to have such terrible odds against you in fighting the battle for everlasting life? Adventist Zone, page 67, paragraph 1. So what should be our stand in the, like the example of the uh, warden and support of this quote? Uh, Hello? Hello? 
anyone yeah, else? There's a lot of background noise. Yeah, I'm trying to do something about it. All right, so what Shedrach is asking, what the spiritual prophecy says in that place is exactly what we're supposed to do. But we have to understand what it means to connect yourself with unbelievers. We remember that we are missionaries to them. Like uh, I think Paul already wrote here, we must be secluded but not disconnected from others. If you look at the lessons here, the training of the wildernesses, look at number five there. It says, in the schools whither they went, they were not to make confidence of any. For someone to be your confidant is a different thing for you to be connected with them. To be, con to be a confidant means that these people are in partnership with you. Or you give them, you tell them secrets. They become your close, intimate friends. So that's what we are not supposed to do. We are not supposed to make confidence of unbelievers to the point of going into marriage contractions with them or even business because we will not share the same principles but that does not mean that we cannot relate with people we can relate with them we can do business with them transactions but not like a partnership like owning it together because it will cause a problem when you don't have the same beliefs and views having said that being having your school doesn't mean you are secluded they were not secluded i understand what you mean anyway I'd rather use the word where they had their own schools and, and maybe training grounds but they were not secluded i remember that circumstance led them to go to the mountains they were living among the people before but because they were required to give subservience to the pope to worship the the dictates of the papacy that was what made them leave all they had and left the mountains. So also with us, presently now, as much as you have the opportunity to live among the people and give them the mission, um, um, the message, not in the cities, I'm not saying we should stay in the cities, by the way, but as much as you can still connect with them and do all those things, go ahead. If circumstance leads you out, then by all means, you must move out. I want to read what... Um, okay, I can see hands up, but let me just read the things that was written here before. All right. Uh, there's a quote here that Sister Mary Beth put in the morning of yesterday night. I can see, okay, bro, God, so you put it back here. That says, believers who are now living in the cities will have to move to the country that they may save their children from ruin. Attention must be given to the establishment of industries in which these families can find employment. Those who have charge of the schoolwork at Dash and Dash should see what can be done by these institutions to establish such industries so that our people desiring to leave the cities can obtain modest homes without a large outlay of means and can also find employment. So I also want to read something from Country Living, talking about leaving the cities. Okay, that was page 19, paragraph 2 of Country Living. Also, paragraph 4. All right, paragraph 4, page 19, Country Living. Page 26 of Country Living, paragraph 4, says, I have seen that danger attends every new phase of experience in the church because some hear things which, with such a strong spirit. While some teachers may be strong and efficient in teaching in the lines of Bible doctrines, they will not all be men who have a knowledge of practical life and can advise perplexed minds with surety and safety. They do not descend the perplexing situation that 
must necessarily come to every family who shall make a change. Therefore, let all be careful what they say. If they know not the mind of God in some matters, let them never speak from a guess or suppose so. If they know nothing definite, let them say so. And let the individual rely wholly upon God. Let there be much praying done, and even with fasting, that none, not, not one shall move in darkness, but move in the light as God is in the light. This is in context of country living, by the way. Going on, it says, move guardedly. Let there be nothing done in a disorderly manner that there shall be a great loss or sacrifice made upon property because of ardent, impulsive speeches which stir up an enthusiasm which is not after the order of God, that a victory that was essential to begin shall, for lack of level-headed moderation and proper contemplation and sound principles and purposes, be turned into a defeat. Let there be a wise generalship in this matter, that is this matter of moving to the countries, and all move under the guidance of a wise unseen counselor which is god elements that are human will struggle for the mastery and there may be a work done that does not bear the signature of god now i plead with every soul to look not too strongly and confidently to human counselors but look most earnestly to god the one wise in counsel submit all your ways and your will to god's ways and to god's will should some move hastily and fly out of battle creek and be brought into discouragement, they will reflect not upon themselves for moving unadvisedly, but upon others who they will charge brought a pressure to bear upon them. All their discomfiture and defeat are charged back upon those who should not be reflected upon. So you can go on and on in that, but it's still advising us to plan. You know, the quote that was given here in page 19, paragraph 4 of Country Living tells us, before people, it's telling us, giving us a hint that before we move out, there should be established schools and industries in those areas so that when we move to the countryside, you can find an employment. Because if you go there without an employment, you feel miserable and eventually you start blaming people. So it's very important. Okay, sister, that is point three. That's based on the point she made earlier. Point three ties into the appetite study at Saba School on the importance on educating, training in agriculture, food, etc. The gap in agriculture makes it challenging to access the array of good food from different parts of, Ni of Nigeria. The lack of study on benefits of some of our herbs instead leaving it to foreigners to do this for us. Indeed, that's true. I hear that in UK there in London, natural food is so expensive. I wonder how you guys, you people are coping. All right, bro, Paul, you can go on. After that, Sister Mary Beth, you can speak. Okay, where I read, I should put it. All right, no problem. I'll put it right now. But you can speak. Yes. Um, okay, yes. Um, thank you very much. Um, you know, you've actually said most of the things I was going to say, so I don't want to go back over that. Um, I, I, I do think, though, um, and this point now that you just read to do with country living, I, I sense it's, it, there's a relevance for it today, but the way it was written, it was written in the context of Battle Creek. But nonetheless, it doesn't play down the principles that we're supposed to draw from it. I, I think one of the challenges we have, and I would like to hear people's opinion on this, I think when you talk about country living, Though it's the right objective, and we do read later on that many Adventists will be left in the cities um, in, a seer, in, a, in a very important dilemma because they didn't act. 
I think the question is, which you raise, when are we supposed to act? Now, the, your response tends to talk about in collusion with, in response with the Lord we are supposed to act. But it shouldn't give way to denying that we must act nonetheless. So, because no action, waiting on God's action, can create a slight sense of problems for some who wants a definitive action in terms of leaving. And there's a clear policy here that one thing we're clear about though, we may not know when, but we're clear that we need to leave the cities. Now, my point is this, if we have this objective to leave the city in the context of what's happening now, and we have to plan out and go out into this vast wilderness, it does behoove us to have this discussion then, you know, now, and to be talking about how we're going to achieve it. Because if the mindset is, well, we need to have an industry um, first before we move out, I think the thing to do is, first we have to decide on what is the type of industry that we would operate out there which clearly is going to be agriculturally based clearly um what um where are we going to go of course only the lord can give us a sense of direction but it doesn't behoove us not to think about that and take the steps that is required by faith that's my point why i'm taking a little bit of time to explain it because i've discovered among adventists right there's this kind of reluctance as if guidance will come from a flash of heaven and tell us like the pillar of cloud there it is this is the way to go and 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 yet the steps that are required is a step of faith at the same time being guided by it that's the point i'm going to make thank you yes it's very good you're making that point so that it doesn't get left to circumstance like i was saying we must not wait for circumstances to make us leave the cities. We need to actually have a strategy and plan, even if circumstances are not leading us out. It's important to take note of that. But while we're exercising faith, like you are saying now, there must be a strategy also. There must be a plan laid down. It's, it's a very fine thing. You don't have a strategy and you move, it's trouble. You have a strategy, you don't move, it's still trouble. So we need to really keep close to God. If you read that chapter, this country living, that's uh, when to leave the cities, that's chapter 7, the last part of chapter 7, counsels and caution to those who anticipate leaving the cities. You'll see how she said you should leave it to people's mind. Don't speak to them definitely. That was, that was what I was reading. And, and let them know. If you have definite message, tell them it's definite. If it's not definite, then don't act like it's a definite thing. But allow God's to really lead people like that that's basically what she was saying she says here in page 27 paragraph 4 of country living how shall this be done take my yoke upon you said jesus christ who had brought you with bought you with his own precious blood whose servants and property you are and learn of me for i am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light if everyone will come to jesus in a teachable spirit with contrition of heart then he is in a condition of mind to be instructed and to learn of jesus and obey his orders spread every every plan before god 
We cannot have a weak faith now. We cannot be safe in a listless, indolent, slothful attitude. Every jot of ability is to be used and sharp, calm, deep thinking is to be done. The wisdom of any human agent is not sufficient for the planning and devising in this time. Spread every plan before God with fasting and with the humbling of the soul before the Lord Jesus and commit thy ways unto the Lord. The sure promise is he will direct thy paths. He is infinite in resources. The Holy One of Israel who calls the host of heaven by name and holds the stars of heaven in position has you individually in his keeping. Amen. So here God is assuring us if we will consult him based on this move, he will direct us. It's very difficult to know actually when to move. Even if you know when, where to move to. It's difficult, but we are being assured that if we commit it to God, he will direct. Sister Mary Beth, please, you can go on. Okay, Sister Mary Beth can speak if you're online. Add to the aspect of country living, yeah, because when we're talking about this country living sometime in church, people saw it in the zeal of going back to their villages. And I was just wondering that okay, if country living is going back to your villages, what if your village is somewhere like Wari or Owewe or like there are some towns now, like if you're in Lagos, there are some towns now that are actually cities. So I just felt like this country living is more of something that we would not have to be ethical about it because something is like sometimes Adventists can tend to be very cultural and cultural biased because then in church we're seeing it as okay Igbos everybody will go back to their village and start farming then the Yobas too they will do so so I was saying it that I think this country living it would really need a lot of partnerships like Sometimes I feel like these wild dances, they might have they might have been people that have had like ethical biases. They may have been several nations that were just grouped together, maybe because of their faith, and decide, okay, since we believe in this, let's go out. But then if you are bringing it down back to us here, we would see that sometimes our country living would not actually be us moving. I don't I'm not sure about that, but I don't think our country living will be us going back to our village. I think it will be more of you see somewhere that is you can farm, you see somewhere that will give you all the necessary infrastructures you have to have this to keep your faith. A farm, a school that is secluded, and maybe you see one or two um brother in the faith. It doesn't matter their ethnicity or wherever their background is as far as you guys just believe in something like you guys believe in the faith and testimony of jesus and all you guys can just move to a part a secluded place you see in that particular environment not necessarily we moving back to our villages or so i just really had an issue struggling in that context because when we're talking about this country living area like i said people were just really taking it that okay oh, everybody you have to leave lagos and move back to your village and i'm not sure that's how it's meant to be then my second area of concern was when we were talking about you brought the aspect of friendship with the world i i can i tend to struggle with that aspect because like you said earlier you were like um the the wild dancers youth that went to school their major mission was 
their major mission was that okay they went as missionaries they have already been trained at home and all but that doesn't mean that okay when we are in school like sister white said we can't we can't be so heavenly minded that we are utterly useless a lot of times i find out that it's actually through a relationship with non-believers that you tend to draw them in for example if we are keeping this kind of wall this kind of wall like okay please don't get too close or i'm not trying to say that you should be equally yoked with them but i feel like we the aspect of you saying that okay you can't have them as a companion as a friend i'm not so sure the biblical point of that because even the other the disciples of jesus at the beginning they were all were all basically sinners and jesus took them all in and they followed him and from there he nurtured them and at a point now said okay now i can call you friends because they have grown from that point of their mm, their early basic stuff to being deeply inherent in christianity and yet there's still that kind of thing but what i'm just trying to say is that i feel sometimes we can actually have friendship yes that's the word we can have friendship with non-believers but then i just feel like it's us to know our grounds because jesus basically ate with the part that he said um in bible jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners that's what the pharisees were telling him so i just i'm not just sure about that area i struggle with it because let me help a lot you. of time <laughs> do you know what james chapter 4 verse 4 says Yeah, James 4 4. He says, yeah. Ye are adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not friendship with the world is enmity against God. But you are saying that we should make friends with the unbelievers because when you say the world, it's unbelievers. You see, the only kind of relationship we have with people is not just friendship. When we read there in the Great Controversy talking about the wild dances it says there that they did not make them their confidence that's page 70 paragraph one in the schools whether they went they were not to make confidence of any a friend is a confidence but we have what we call acquaintances people you just know you know when you go to your class you see people there you discuss so many things with them but you don't tell them your secrets do you you don't tell them your plans that's the difference you can relate to the worldly people with the unbelievers on that note study with them have a mind to bless them to help them in whatever troubles they are in be nice to them be good to them but to have them as friends is a different thing that's what you call friend maybe you're actually referring to acquaintance but to expose your secrets your plans to them you'll be shooting yourself in the foot because you don't know what their own mindset is as for the world in their own time telling people who they were oh i'm from i'm a wild nc i'm from so so place we used to be here and there remember that there was a time towards the end of this chapter where the pope the, the papists were looking for them who are these people that are dropping these papers everywhere they noticed them that if you note them they are they are very mild and calm they look pious that's what they could say about them but to trace them down they could not why because they made it they were very careful in the kind of things they said to people so that it could not tr be tracked do we need that today yes look at the world we are living in today i mean this tech world now you can easily be tracked and all but 
at the same time, you don't want people to spoil your plans who do not share the same faith with you. So you don't tell them your secrets. You don't tell them your plans. You can discuss every other thing with them. If they, are, if they need help, talk to them, help them. But don't make them your confidants or friends. That's basically it. You, can, you have to separate the two. Well, the thing is, you can't expect. The, what I'm trying to draw out is that the way you don't make them confident is the same way they won't make you a confident. Okay, let me just give a basic example. You know, the fact that when I was hearing that when we were reading this um, gate controversy, and we went to the fact that the people that heard the news how they ask for reading and reading of the scripture. It was it was beautiful to me because I've practically been in that thing. Because when I entered Bakokia, I was just basically every typical Catholic, every typical Catholic student in this strange path. And in this strange school with their strange way of believing, and we are just like, okay, let's just do and get out. But it took a man, yeah, it was like he was actually a pastor and he drew me close. And he just basically told me, oh, how he was a Catholic and how he got converted to this Adventist church. And I tell you, despite he didn't know anything about me, so he just really drew me in. And then he explained a lot of things to me. And then it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a acquaintance relationship. It was deep. He was really ready to go deep with me. He would tell me sometimes talking about his family. Sometimes I would share with him. And then during this our relationship in which yes it was deep it's not just acquaintance he will show me okay this thing i'm doing yeah do you know it's actually biblical do you know okay the way i'm relating with my wife yeah do you see this aspect of it i'm like wow i'm like well and then he'll show me bible verses and i'm seeing this for myself i'm like i can't believe this and because personally i used to think that i was going to go to hell because i was really a very very bad catholic and all these things was these and I used to try. I really, really, really used to try to, okay, say roses. In fact, I don't even do the small 50 this thing a day. I go as far as to say, thank you, Jesus, roses and co. But I really felt that I wasn't doing enough. Because sometimes I was sin and I will not go to confession and I will not take Holy Communion. And I will come to this school that they don't even give Holy Communion in Babcock. And I was really feeling that, okay, if I die, I'll go to hell. And it took this man to have a deep relationship with me. And he showed me that, you know, forget all these things. These are just traditions of men. And he gave me, I think, he after I, was it the one, so someone else that gave me great controversy to read. So what I'm even trying to bring out is that it was deep intentional relationships with Adventists that actually drew people to, drew me personally to, to God. And I can say that it also works the other way. Some of my friends there, I'm not going to say that every one of them are, Adventist, but what I'm going to say is that sometimes it's about me sharing them with them that okay, this is the reason why I did this. I actually drew this from the Bible. I actually did that. And you see that low key, it draws them in. I don't think having a superficial acquaintance relationship would always work. Rather, I do agree about okay, keeping secrets in, keeping necessary secrets in because obviously it's really hard to go, it's really not right for you to hit them with some hard trick when they are not ready sometimes you have to give them baby food but the truth is i feel it still goes down to this acquaintance cannot always work because sometimes 
for you to go deep with someone, you have to have gotten deep. Someone would not just come to leave and um, reveal their family secrets or maybe abuse or so many troubles that and people are really troubled, especially in this our sinful world. People are really, really troubled. We are troubled, even with the faith we have in Jesus and other issues we have. We are still troubled. Now imagine people out there that don't have this basis and faith we have. So if we are keeping it on the acquaintance level, I really don't think that we would be able to reach them that way. I feel we actually have to have this kind of deep friendship that Jesus had. All right, Sister Mary, I, I think the issue is you were considering yourself the world, but maybe you were not the world. And when you see friendship with the world, I don't know how you are looking at that passage. Are you saying that, we, that that Bible passage is wrong? I'm sure that's not what you are saying. I think what you are getting wrong is who the world is and what that passage means. Friendship with the world would mean participating with them in the things they love, loving what the world loves. I'll just stop at that, Sister Dami, you can go on because what i want to say the line is where she has started i don't think in reaching out to people we can be defining relationships in the sense of acquaintances and friendship i think we need to be a friend to sinners i think i think we need to we would even i felt that the auditions were careful of making being confident with the in the school they went to because if they gave out too much they would be in trouble so i don't think it means that in relation with people we don't we hide the details of ourselves when we are not at any risk because trust breeds trust i don't know if you get so i accept what i understand the bible says is don't be unequally yoked with some believers and don't be um you um, cannot be a friend to the world and a friend of god in in sense of we cannot engage in the same activities that they do we cannot enjoy the same form of entertainment that they enjoy we cannot we can't mingle with them on on the same um, phase but whoever is going to accept us as we are and not try to change us we we can we can relate to them as as much as we are not making any compromise but when it begins to require compromise, that's when we have to repeat. So that's what I think. Okay, bro, Paul, okay. you can go on. I, I, I want to thank uh, the young lady um, for making that point. Yes. Um, I do understand what she was saying, and I know she went over it. I just want to finish her. just because of our own failure uh, yeah i'm just I'm, I'm just as i'm talking i'm just going to post this failure failure yeah now i want to talk to the point that she actually made about benefits i do understand that and i can tell you to some extent i'm not surprised it's a young person making this point you know um i made some early points earlier in the context of the young and the old, and I was having this, uh, and I, I know you passed over it, Kristen, and um, and the reason, and I made the point about, you know, you know, it's you know, an old dry fish, you can't bend, and the problem that we're facing is, is that you see, and this is my particular disposition, 
um, because somebody spoke about Adra and why you don't see young people here and there. Because to be honest with you, I can say this, you can't probably say it, depending on your age and your experience. You see, in this part of the world that we live in, it is these old people like myself, I'm 64. I may be of their age, but I'm not of their mindset. Um, that are being very monopolistic in terms of gaining and holding on to power. And they do it and they play political games as if they are inclusive of helping young people and they're not. And they don't empower, they don't even have a mechanism or an infrastructure. They think just because you do a little seminar and it runs two hours, oh, that's training. They have, they're clueless. And the reason why they're clueless, I used to believe because they were ignorant. No, they're not. I've come to that conclusion now. That's me. I don't expect anybody to justify my position, whether you agree with me or not, but this is my position. And uh, it's not because they're ignorant. They're basically self-centered and they'll absorb themselves into a position that I know best because I've got a PhD or I went to a particular institution and I know what's right for you. And that's the problem. Now, the problem with the young people is, is that they're looking for some endorsement. I'm sorry, to some degree, I know some of you would disagree, uh, looking for some endorsement by individuals you know, just like your parents used to pat you on the back or breastfeed you. You look for some sort of endorsement because that's the way we were raised. But I'm going to tell you right now, don't, you don't need to look for that type of endorsement. You need to look into the scriptures and find the endorsement there and step out because you're not going to get it from this traditional means of leadership because they're a self-serving group of individuals who have failed to take the policy and the principles and the practices inherent in the spirit of prophecy and make it applicable and relevant to all Nigerians. And I want to use that word. I could say England if I was in England. I could say Jamaica if I was in Jamaica. So don't don't get don't get on my case because I said Nigerians. I'm making it specific to Niger, right? So my point is is that I would say to all young people this afternoon. Look to Jesus for your complete, utter solution source center for whatever you're going to do. But at the same time, we do need the comfort of ourselves as Christ asks the disciples, just keep up a little, you know, a couple of hours with me. This is natural because our God is a, a, is a sociological being. He loves the presence of of his children around him. And you need to draw on that. So my here's my point now within the context of making that point, within the point of the context in which the young lady was talking about friendship. You see, the reason why our young people are finding friendships out in the world, because in the church, they gossip and chat people's business. And to the point where even the older folks there's too much gossiping and foolishness being talked in the church. Some of us don't know how to keep our mouths shut, all right? And keep people's confidence to yourself. 
If somebody comes to you and say A, B, it's not for you to share it with somebody else just to make your self-image feel better by talking about somebody else. And I've seen this type of nonsense, right, in the Adventist church. And that is why I go back to a point where my children said, Dad, no, 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 we can't go to Adventist church. Because they have seen the crap that's been talking about in the church. So what do you expect? They will go out in the world, Christian, and they will form relationships with people who are even better than us, but not from the same cloth that we were cut with Sabbath and sanctuary teaching. So it is a dilemma. But my answer to the young lady is this. I posted this, that friendship with the world is like a deep well until you hit rock bottom. When you hit rock bottom, then you will know what the outcome is. So you have to strive to cherry pick, right? Having relationships with people in the church that are of the character of Christ, not because you want to strive to have a friendship with somebody that just come to church and you expect them to be your friends. It don't work like that. I have cried tears have fallen down from my eyes. I remember I was about 42 when I came to a realization, but you may say that was a long time to wait. Well, it was my realization. 42, right? I realized how you can have a bags, a back stabbing elder that would do things. I, my heart broke. I was broken to the point where some people would leave the Adventist church. But I had a relationship to realize that, you know what, this is how it is. And unfortunately, this is how it is in our church. And that is why I'm very careful to speak very clearly about this point. And I would strongly suggest that young people, you need to wise up. Right? Not everyone that goes to Adventist church is going for the same reason that you are. I hope this explanation doesn't prejudice you, but makes you wake up and allows you to be someone that can keep somebody's confidence, right? Whether in the world or not in the world, and will be able to support others who need this type of encouragement. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Uh, I'd like to say, I do understand what Sister Miribet is saying, but I think a wrong uh, notion of yourself is what will make you think that friendship with the world would be of benefit because you consider yourself to be the world. The world does not mean those who are non-Adventists. They are non-Adventists who are not the world. God, Jesus said, I have other sheep, and they will hear my voice. The very fact that you heard his voice shows you were not of the world. So when the man was friends with you, he was not making friends with the world. He was making friends with a child of God. So don't get, don't make it look like, oh, there was a benefit from making friends with the world because you consider yourself the world. No. Those who are of God, who are of God, wherever they are, whether they are within the Seventh-day Adventist church or outside, they are God's people. They are not the world. The Bible says friendship with the world is never good and it will never be good till tomorrow. So when we make friends with people outside the church and we see the benefit, it is because that person is not exactly of the world as you think. They may have some bad things about them, just like I do about myself too. Doesn't mean that the person is of the world and there will be benefits in it. But like Paul has said now, I think at the end of the day, we still need to be careful. We need, must make ourselves good confidence. When you check the dictionary for the meaning of confidence, that is people you can tell your secrets. That's what it means, people you can tell your secrets. And I think you need to be very careful about who you tell your secrets, whether as a wild NC or not, just generally in this world, you need to be careful. 
careful you do that too. So our time, we've really spent a lot of time in this, and I thank God for it. I don't know if anybody has anything to say again, but... May I just say, may I just speak it at a... All right, go on, go on. Um, I just, hi, I just wanted to um, touch on the point of confidence and, the, and its importance. And I think, well, well, no, I think, so when we look at the Bible, um, I think it's in Proverbs. I can't remember specific verses. And then also somewhere in the New Testament, again, I can't remember verses, but it talks about to virtue, add knowledge, add wisdom. And going back to the point of um, being able to keep confidences, I mean, um, I think as Christian people, we kind of, uh, as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians as well, um, sometimes when we read passages of the scripture, we kind of gloss over it and we kind of miss um, key things. And I think particularly as Adventists, we, 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 we thrive on the deep things. So we like things around prophecy, but those simple things, you know, of faith, prayer and all of those things, we, we think we know it so well that we don't um, continually refresh our memories. So, you know, in Proverbs, it talks about being discreet and everything. And interestingly, I mean, when I think about my job that I do here, and even some of the jobs that you have to do. And even when you think about in Nigeria, if you're going to be a security service agent, so if you work in the security industry, one of the key things that you have to know how to do is be discreet, um, be, um, you know, keep confidences or secrets or whatever terminology you want. So if these are standards or criteria that are out there in the world, and I'm talking about for in terms of jobs, yeah, how much more so for us as Christians. I mean, the kind of reputation that we should have as Christ, as especially as Seventh-day Adventists is that if someone has come across a Seventh-day Adventist, they know that if if you work in this place and you're Seventh-day Adventist, they know these are the kind of qualities that you have as a person. You know, they would head haunt you for certain types of jobs, roles and everything. But, you know, like we're saying, unfortunately, like and like what Brother Paul said, you know, we've translated church into a political arena. So some people that have filled political ambitions are practicing politics in church. And so where we should have systems where we're nurturing our young people, you know, grooming them, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm skeptical about using the word grooming because sometimes it has positive connotations and negative connotations. But if we look at rich people, you know, when they want to nurture, Someone they have a um, succession planning. Yeah, that's the word I'm, I was looking for. So you can't you plan about how you're going to do things to help the next person take over. And going back to the point um, Brother Paul made, you know, when we have a system where people are holding on to power for their life and are, are not are not prepared to release that power, then this is why we have certain things. So you know, we don't have a system, not system, but we don't have that culture within our circles where it's a safe environment. And if you go back to the world dances, you know, they were they were being persecuted. So they had to flee from there and went into the mountains. And in the midst of being in the mountains, they created the safe environment and they were able to create their own environment and atmosphere of what they wanted for themselves and for their children. And if we look at the whole principle of country living, that's in essence what it's saying. Um, because we can do that, but we just need the right mindset, training. We need lots of prayer, lots of inspiration from God. God has told us what he wants us to do. And the challenge is for us to continually talk to God and ask how. 
and God is going to make a way. So it's not something that is impossible, but it's doable. And there's nothing God can do. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sada, for that contribution. And I want to thank everybody who has contributed. You can keep typing. You can ask your questions. You can put your contributions on the platform. They are, I, want to, I don't want to end this uh, study and tell ourselves that we have done our job. I think the study has created um, some plan for us. We need to strategize. That's what we have learned. We've seen the training. So I want to reiterate those lessons that we have gotten because this chapter gives us a very good foundation for the training we should receive today. One of it is we are to be trained to love self-denial. And I'm reading now page 67, paragraph 1. The principles of truth, they valued above houses and lands, friends, kindred, even life itself. These principles they earnestly sought to impress upon the hearts of the young. So if we are to receive a training, give ourselves a training and give children a training that impresses on their hearts that they should value the truth above houses, lands, friends, kindreds, and even life itself. How do you do this? By, like say, encouraging or praising people not for their worldly achievements, but rather for spiritual achievements. You see, when you train a child to take first position and he sees or she sees that you love him and you praise him for the memory that they were able to display in school, that's remembering and writing stuff and passing exams, but you don't show them by character and principle that they are to love the truth above anything and everything. If you don't do that, they will not be able to get the message. So that's one lesson that the children must learn. It says, from the earliest childhood, the youth were instructed in the scriptures and taught to regard sacredly the claims of the law of God. So that's another lesson. We are to regard sacredly the claims of the law of God. Another one is page 66, paragraph 2. They learned to love the silent symbols of Jehovah's presence. Yes, nature. We must love natural things. Page 67, paragraph. Why? Let me go back. Why is that necessary? If God wants to lead us there, which we read in the book of Isaiah 33, that those who will be found of God, that they are going to be in the mountains. They will be in the munitions of rocks. If you are used to the artificial, you see some youths, when their parents move from, or they want to move from city to countryside, they grumble. They don't want it. Why? They are not used to the artificial. They hate it. They feel like it is not woke. It's not in vogue. It's not, that's not what is in trend. We need to be in the cities. You need to train the child to love the countryside more than the cities, to love natural things more than the artificial. Another one, page 67, paragraph 2. They were educated from childhood to endure hardness, to submit to control, and yet to think and act for themselves. Two things that seems contradictory. Firstly, submit to control. Secondly, think and act for yourself. Be careful. We learned that in Child Guidance, chapter 3, 4, where we have to train a child, not to tell a child. Let them think, ask them questions, train them to think, and also endure hardness. Since very early, they were taught to bear responsibilities, to be guarded in speech, and to understand the wisdom of silence. That's another lesson. All this is in page 67, paragraph 2. 
the child may be a talkative and they love to talk and you think they are smart that it's good for them to just keep ranting their mouth you should train them to find wisdom in silence which is seven paragraph three they were taught that god designs life god designs life to be a discipline and that their wants could be supplied only by personal labor by forethought care and faith these are just reiterations the process was laborious and wearisome but it was wholesome just what man needs in his fallen state now how do we teach children to hate these things when it's time to do the house chores you, you tell them don't worry i'll do it for you you see these mothers who want to do something for their children do everything for them they help them wash their plates help them wash their clothes and do everything for them no you must train the child to do those things for himself and not just to do it but to love doing it and to love to help in the family another one page 670 paragraph one in the schools without they went they were not to make confidence of any then they were also trained to be missionaries they were trained to commit scripture to memory even whole books of the bible so this is just a reiteration of the lessons we have learned in this chapter but it shows us some things we need to do like we talked about learning skills and bro paul has said this thing over and over again it's not the first time he's saying it's collaboration among those that believe the same thing if you know something if you have uh, an idea a business idea we should learn not to be selfish and covetous because that's another criteria if you are covetous you will not be able to leave the cities when it's demanded of you to either keep the commandments of god in, in peace in the countryside or remain in the cities but fall in line you would if you are selfish and covetous you will not do that you will not leave you will just stay in cities there was one part we didn't read which was very important that some of the audiences some of the faithfuls when they were pressed beyond measure they chose to they knew very well that to receive that mass was wrong they knew that to bow down to the idols were wrong but they did it nevertheless so that they can secure their property we should be careful we shouldn't like that further cause another separation so we shouldn't be covetous let us have share the ideas collaborate and improve one another don't be afraid that somebody will take the mo more money than yourself this is it's something inside us we need, we need to be careful and uh overcome these particular traits of character so i think that's one practical thing we take from this lesson to be careful not to just talk but put these things in practice let us have strategies in place i remember the missionary part we should make tracks i think that was all we learned we need to write tracks that is tailored to our own environment that it's work -o. but remember that the missionary the, the, the true spirit of christ the missionary spirit no sooner do we hear of the truth and we want to share it, it sister mary was talking about who is going to do this work it is us so we need to work hard i think we perhaps we should make a plan on that even though we are not in the same place we can actually still do something from here or from wherever we are and let these things go out there are many areas to work whether it's on social media on internet what somebody that the internet will reach tracks may not reach him or books will not reach that person somebody who a youtube video will reach may, may not get those tracks too there are people who will not watch youtube they will not listen to all the sermons but they will read books so we need to take advantage of every avenue some will not read they will not go to the internet you must go to their houses and study with them we should take advantage of all the avenues whether it is tracks books youtube videos audio sermons house to house visits we are the youths we are the ones who are the wildernesses at this time whether old or young it doesn't not just not just youths not just limited to the youth bro paul is 64 but you have to have the youthful mind at least <laughs> so these are the lessons and i think 
during the week, what we will do then, like Bro Paul already mentioned, this we'll start by making these uh, recordings in MP3 format, and then by God's grace, try to write articles or tracks that we can post on the website or print the tracks and share them. Go out to have Bible studies with people. Thank you all for your contributions. Thank you for your time. Also, we'll bring we'll bring the session to a close. We'll bring said thank you for your the writings, bro Paul. I can see you are making the short points. Thank you. So we'll bring this session to a close with prayer. So, uh, bro Paul, please can you pray for us? Uh, we thank you, Father, for help and strength. But most of all, Lord, we thank you for a mind to do your will. We want to thank you, Lord, for the Sabbath day. We want to thank you, Lord, for those who were even thinking about the Sabbath day. Lord, continue to impress upon their minds. We want to thank you, Lord, for those who are sick and can't even hear and can't even speak. But Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, that you have provided for them nonetheless. I want to pray, oh Lord, that you bless our families, our mothers, our fathers, our brothers, our sisters, our cousins. I want to thank you, oh Lord, that you remember our enemies who plan against us, those who are confused and manipulated by forces of darkness. I pray, oh Lord, that we, Lord, as a result of the light that is within us, Lord, help us to be a light unto them. I pray, oh Lord, that you will guide your children who are in our hearing, Lord, that as they leave, Lord, that they will not fall victim to sin, that they will have victory over sin. And Lord, we know that, Lord, that victory can only come as a result of, Lord, of the Holy indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us and through us and with us. We want to thank you, Heavenly Father, for giving us this plan of redemption. We want to thank you for your son. We want to thank you, oh Lord, that you're coming again. And now, Lord, continue to guide us into a new day, into a new week. And as we heard, my brother, who lead, leads out in this facilitation, and all of his friends, like Daniel's friends in the background, I want to ask you, oh Lord, that you continue to guide him, strengthen him, and Lord, convict him that, Lord, that whatever he does, he does it unto the Lord. Remember his friends, as Daniel remembered his. Lord, be with us now, and may the Holy Spirit continue to guide us and protect us, for we ask in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 All right, thank you, everybody. Hopefully, we'll drop some information on what time we'll start next week for the Great Controversy. We are thinking of moving it forward. Perhaps 2.30, 3 o'clock, 3.30. But we intend moving it forward so that it can be more conducive for everyone. If you have any suggestions, please, you can just drop it on the group and we'll consider it. Thanks. Oh, yo, please, we have a question for Charles. 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 Char